Welcome to the 250th episode of Red Nation Hoops. It took us seven years to get here, but we're here. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell you listen to podcasts, and go subscribe if you enjoy the show. We are two weeks away from Rockets training camp. And to look ahead at the season and talk all things offseason, I am honored to be joined by my esteemed panel of co-hosts. Each of these guys have been regulars of Red Nation Hoops, so I want to thank each of you guys for your contributions and helping me get to 250, starting with Adam Spoley and his Sports Radio 610. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good. I've been honored to be on the podcast so many times, and I'm glad I've only been canceled once in doing so. (laughs) Of course, Kelly Eco, the Athletic, needs no introduction. Kelly, how are you doing? Hey, why did you introduce Adam first? <laughs> Does it matter who I introduce first? <laughs> no, I'm playing. Um, yeah, man, I'm always honored to be on the show. I remember shooting the episode in the hotel room in Vegas uh, during summer league, and just seeing how you were hustling to get everything done. It's, it's really, you know, so it's nice to see. So I appreciate it. Congratulations oh. on two fifty episodes, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was fun. We met up in a casino. We, we game planned what we were going to talk about. It was great. It was great. Uh, and last, and certainly but not least, the very first guest to ever come on Red Nation Noobs. He's been with me since episode two. He's going to stay with me until episode 2000. I am honored to call him a dear friend, the great Ali Khan Bijani of The Athletic. What's going on, my brother? Hey, Salman. Hey, Adam. Hey, Kelly. It's good to be here. I remember um, the first time... You like you. You initially were coming to Toyota Center for games, and we used to record in the media room on that table, and that was the mainstay for us. So it's uh, it's incredible to see how far uh, you've come since then. And congratulations on 250, and happy to be here to celebrate. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sure. And and we're not here to celebrate. We're here. We're here to do a show. We're here to run an episode. This is part one of a part of a five part series for 250. And we're going to talk all things preseason, all things offseason, starting with the rookies, because that is the biggest story of the offseason. When you get the third overall pick, I'm sorry, your signings don't matter. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr., Tari Eason, Ty Ty Washington, these are the stories. I want to talk early impressions with these guys. I'm going to start with a very simple but unfair question. Ali Khan, what is Jabari Smith Jr. ceiling in the NBA, and do you think he reaches it? His ceiling in the NBA? Oh man, that's uh, it's it's very tough. Um, I, I I think ultimately he's going to lock down being your four and potentially your closing five. And his ceiling is somebody who can who you can go to as a one B option next to one A, ideally for you to be Jalen Green, um, somebody who can help over time create his own shot, knock down the three at a forty percent clip, and defend all five possessions. And I I know I know that's. That sounds like a lie, but ultimately, if this pick is going to be successful, I think, and in, in, in terms of the ceiling of this pick, that's what they'll have to get, and that's the future of the NBA. Adam, yeah, I, I do think I, I do see him as a guy who can be an All Star. Uh, he's not going to be the twenty-five point per game type All Star, but just the defensive presence alone is so important, especially at his size for the way the league is going. To be able to guard anyone, essentially one through five, and to do it at a high level, that just makes you super, super valuable. The ability to stretch the floor is also big. And Ali Khan said it. I mean, he, you kind of, I think you slot him in right now as your starting four. And then, yeah, there's no doubt that he can be a five in closing lineups or even, you know, depending on the matchup. 
And I just think that he makes you, he raises your floor quite a bit, especially on the defensive end. So, yeah, I, I do see him as a guy who can, without question, be a, a multi-time all-star. He's not going to be a, the type of guy who probably averages 25 points, but I don't know if they need him to do that. So I think that he's just going to enhance uh, what they already have in Jalen Green. And, and I think that he's a really easy guy to build around, which is also important. Do you think he can be the guy you build around, though, Adam? Like, can he be the number one guy you build around? No, probably not. But I don't think you need him to be because I think that's what Jalen Green is there for. And I think that's why you have all the cap space that they've been hoarding, you know, essentially over the last couple of years. And and I think they're probably going to wind up with another very high pick uh, in the 2023 draft. I think that's why you have those types of assets. and uh, You already have you're essentially a defensive anchor. So it's, uh, I think he can be the guy for you defensively. I don't know if he can, I don't think he can probably be the guy for you offensively, but I don't think he needs to be. What about you, Kelly? What do you see? What do you see with Jabari? I think we haven't seen a lot of players in his kind of prototype, the three and D at that size. And I think from that perspective alone, I think it makes what Houston wants to do a lot more tangible. Um, I think down the line, Maybe he grades out as an 18.7 rebound, 40% shooter. That can go one through five. I think they'll be happy with that in three to five years' time. Um, he's going to be someone that's going to be – he could end up being their glue guy. You know, who players want to play because he doesn't always need the ball in his hands. He can space the floor. He can allow you to do so many things with your guards, with driving angles, and he's unselfish. He has that mentality. You know, he already comes with a chip on his shoulder having gone, you know, number three in the draft. So – I think ultimately he's going to be, you know, all-star, 18-point, you know, seven rebound, maybe one or two blocks, one or two steals, one through five, allow Steven Silas or whoever's the coach to to kind of, you know, be unpredictable on defense. And, and he will not cost the team spacing, which is going to be crucial in the years to come. So I think they got a good pick. Sorry, my screen froze. Yeah, by the way, we allow listener questions if you guys want to send in questions, but it has to be relevant to what we're talking about. If you want to talk Jabari, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll call on you. Um, so, yeah, I noticed you guys didn't you didn't mention a player when I talked about ceiling. And so I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be the guy. I think when you look at ceiling for him specifically, the guy I think of, and it's it's a very it's a very difficult ceiling to reach. I don't think he'll reach it, but I think this it is his ceiling. Like when you look at what his archetype is, right? Really, really awesome at defense, right? Switchable, switchable, and can really be versatile on that end of the floor. You can ask him to defend pretty much anybody one on one as well. Offensively, he's got a ways to grow as a ball handler. Not a lot of prospects stars start off that way, right? There are some, and the one I'm I'm about to mention was one of them, but there's not a lot of them. And when you talk about trying to get to a star star level, you need to be able to, to score on your own, which is which means you need to be able to handle the ball at a pretty good rate, and you need to be able to shot create. And the guy I think of as a guy who's made real strides from a prospect until now in that area is Paul George, right? I don't think he's gonna be I, again. I don't think he's gonna reach that level, but I think when I when you're talking about absolute apex ceilings, that's who I see. I see Paul George. I think that's that's the guy you want to emulate if you're Jabari Smith Jr. That's the guy that should be your bar. It's a very high, high bar to clear. It's probably not going to happen for you, but if you're Jabari, 
Like I, that's that's what I'm aiming for. And if you're talking about like a median outcome, like what do I kind of expect him to be? I kind of expect him to be kind of like LaMarcus Aldridge, but who can shoot three pointers, right? Like that's the kind of player I expect him to be. Uh, you know, I, I think he'll be a little bit better defensively than LaMarcus. But what I'm saying is offensively, that's the kind of star I see him becoming. Yeah, I think the comparison, because I, I understand what you're saying with the Paul George comp, but Paul George is more of a perimeter oriented based guy. I mean, he's, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight, whereas Jabari Smith is, you know, six foot ten and a little, he can play a little bit bigger than that. I kind of see him more as a an Aaron Gordon with a jumper or Michael Porter Jr. who can defend. I think that's kind of the the comps that I would make with him right now. So I me, I don't hate me. Michael Porter Jr. who can defend. Sorry, go ahead, Kelly. So originally when I first saw him at Simile, like up close in person, I had a lot of flashbacks to a younger Danny Granger. Um just from the offensive skills. Like if you want to talk about the apex of Jabari's potential growth offensively, um, who's somebody who can who isn't gonna be the greatest, you know, dribbler, isn't gonna be the greatest you know, three-level scoreable who can do those things. Um, defensively is what is going to set him apart from everyone in this class. But I think if you want to go play the comparisons, um, I saw a little bit of Danny Granger in there early on. But obviously that depends on, you know, how the development in Houston goes with John Lucas and all those guys. But I do think that Jabari has the potential to reach you know, those kind of levels, which is why I said all-star, 18 in the game, stuff like that. For me, for me, I have to go back to the comparison Salman made, and that's something that's been on my mind. Lamarcus Aldridge with just better defense. Just right now, the way he plays and where he's comfortable. It's like I said, this is right now, even before he plays a game. The Lamarcus Aldridge comp offensively works now. Ideally, as he works more on his game, he adds he adds better ball handling. You know, for me, I don't expect the better ball handling to just mean that he's going to be like a guy who can score from the perimeter. But better ball handling also from the context of can he be a good screen and roll kind of guy? Can he execute dribble handoffs? Um, That in itself requires good ball handling skills. And so for me, if he can get to that level, then you can even make a comparison like an Al Horford or even beyond that. Rice people who can dribble along the perimeter and be able to do some things um, in the mid post area to be able to score and facilitate for others. I think that's where Jabari's game can take that next step is if he's able to add the dribble ball handling that is not elite. doesn't have to be Paul George level where he, ha- he gets to that kind of ceiling. Maybe he would, he, maybe he does, but I think for him just ha- having perimeter ball handling skills where he can just work around there, do some dribble handoffs, run some screen and roll, make some passes. I think that's going to elevate the ceiling even more. And I think the other thing too, that you'd like to see him develop is, you know, like you said, the ball handling, but the ability to get a rebound and then just race the ball up the floor, I think that's become a very, very valuable skill in this league. And I think it's a big reason why Draymond, uh, it's among one of the many reasons why Draymond Green is so valuable. They want to play fast. So if you can get a rebound and push the ball up the floor yourself and not have to waste time by, you know, having to to throw an outlet pass, I think that that helps a lot. And, and I think that's a small thing that, that he can develop because it's one of those things you're not necessarily dribbling in traffic. You're just dribbling out in space. So I think you can develop that fairly quickly. This is a joke, but I already hear Rockets fans listening to us groaning because they think of Christian Wood rebounding and bringing the ball up the floor. But I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be funny. Sorry. Well, it's, it's a good point. You brought up Christian Wood. And so I'm working on this story. It's going to come out probably right before camp. 
working on for a couple months. But and I'm just gonna give you guys a nugget. But camps in two what, weeks. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a big story. So you know yeah. how I do my thing. So anyway, <laughs> um, whenever Jabari first got to Houston, um, I know the fans are probably gonna groan, but Stephen Silas sat him down and showed him some clips of how Christian Wood, I, I guess Christian Wood's best moments in Houston and kind of not showing similarities, but how um, a stretch big in their system can operate and be successful. So they were kind of showing him how he, he could even be greater than what Christian Wood was because you know, obviously he's a better shooter, better defender. Um, they're going to be playing kind of a similar position, similar, similar minutes. Um, so kind of showing him what to do, what not to do, stuff like that. And that's kind of giving him a pre-blueprint before, obviously, camp and, and preseason. So um, they are the same kind of players, but um, from the standpoint of stretch big that can space the floor and give other guards driving lanes, you know, I can see why they want to make them move. He's just a very weird player, right? It's very hard to put him in a box. I think what Kelly said at the top of this in that it's very hard to find players that fit like his attributes. It's it's very like on point because I I've really struggled to find comps, right? Like the one comp that you kept hearing over and over and over again. And I don't think it's a bad comp, but I think this is kind of like his his floor outcome in the NBA is Rashard Lewis, right? Like I I don't have a problem with like Rashard Lewis was a two time All Star. That guy was really really good, and I thought that comp was pretty good. But I think he can be even better than that, right? I think that there's there's a realistic possibility where like. If he just develops in all these key areas that we're talking about, he can be, you know, a potential complementary star player, which for like multiple seasons. And you know, like I remember hearing, uh, you know, you Kelly, you just mentioned uh, Christian Wood, uh, Ali Khan. You kind of talked about the qualities you see in him as kind of a secondary, like pick and pop slash pick and roll big. Um, you know, one of, one of the guests that I have on for episode 250 actually compared him to John Collins. And I'm like, you know, I can see what he's talking about. I think he can also be better than that, right? I think he can be better than that kind of player. But in terms of that kind of mold, right? Like just a guy who can just be a, an absolute glue guy, do whatever you actually need him to be, be a star in his role. I don't see that as a bad outcome for, for Jabari Smith Jr. at all. And I think if he reaches, you know, some of these heights that we're talking about as players, that's a very healthy NBA career from the number three overall pick. You always got to look at what players have reached, you know, from the number three overall pick compared to what we're talking about. And the other thing, too, that you talk about him reaching his potential, and that, that takes a lot of work. And the one thing that I have heard just throughout the time that he's been with the team, going from uh, the, the summer league workout, summer league, and then to today, he works like crazy. And so the work ethic is off the charts. The competitiveness is off the charts. And I think that those are some of the, the things that you really can't measure about a guy. So I, I think that they are really thrilled uh, with what they got when they got him. And then just what they've seen from him the last, what, two and a half months. I think they're even happier with that pick right now. Adam, you want to go to listeners? Yeah, let's uh, go to... Uh, Stone Silas. Hang on. I got to remember how to do this. Okay. You're up now. Eventually. It's connected. Hey, y'all. Thanks for letting me speak. I'm Eli, born in uh, Houston, live in Jersey now. Thanks for everything you guys do. Um, You've touched a lot on Jabari, but one thing I'm wondering is his fit with both Jalen and Alperin Shingun, which you guys haven't touched on yet, um, just because obviously those are two cornerstones going forward and how he may fit with both of those two players. Thanks. 
Yeah, um, I think obviously they they love the fit. I think that the fit really works well with Shingun because um, Shingun can obviously play a little closer to the basket and then he can have um, Smith out along the perimeter. I think that they can really benefit each other uh, just defensively because, um, you know, you can have Shingun guard the bigs and you can have Jabari float around the perimeter a little bit more as well. So I think that they'll fit really well together. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it because I think that's that's the one thing, the one issue, I, I won't even call it an issue, but the one thing that we really haven't gotten to see much this summer is that we haven't really seen those two together just because Shingun didn't play summer league and then Shingun hasn't been around for the workouts because he's been playing Eurobasket. So that'll be really the one thing to watch, one of the many things, that's that's probably the top of my list of things to watch once camp does start is how those two look together and they're going to start together. I mean, Silas already told me that it, it's summer league that those two are in his starting lineup right now. I love the fit of Jabari next to Alper and Shangun. I mean, you look at the type of big that you want to put next to Shangun, the qualities that you want, right? You want an A plus defender, right, to make up for what Shangun currently is, isn't, and what he you know might be limited in, in becoming in the future. Uh, you look at floor spacing, right? Shangun at the moment is not a good three point shooter, or is a reluctant three point shooter to say the very least, right? And you want someone who is the exact opposite of that to put next to him. And you looked at the top three picks, right? Like, even if Jabari doesn't end up having the best career of these top three guys, right? Paulo, Chet, Jabari. Even even if Jabari is not the best like A one guy, he is clearly the best A one fit next to you know Upper and Shangun and the rest of this roster. Like the this roster badly needs defense and floor spacing. Like going into the draft, that was the two things the Rockets needed to target more than anything else in the world. That's why like I thought Tar Eason was actually a, a great selection at six seventeen as well. Like and I thought, you know, Tari showed some more in the summer league offensively than I thought he was capable of against NBA level athleticism. Like I watched him and the cause of when I thought, hey, some of this probably isn't gonna work. And he just did it against NBA level athletes. And I'm not sure if he's going to actually do that his rookie season, but like what he showed in the summer league was promising, right? In terms of his shot creation. And I, that's why I loved their draft so much. They just went out and got what they needed. I, I want to bring up something that you guys haven't talked about yet when it comes to the pairing between Shingun and Jabari. And that's offensively. Um, so on you little touch on, you touched on a little bit with the floor spacing. If you go back and watch the Summer League games and you watch when Jabari played at the five and he played next to another big, um, or when he was the four and he played next to another big, that's going to give you a, some sort of an idea of what you can expect with both of them. And the one thing that was interesting to me was that Jabari did you know, play some in the corner, the wing, and the top of the key, which is what Silas likes to do in a five out with the big, kind of take them away from the paint to draw the defender away. But he also, you're seeing him move and cut a little bit more than he did in college. And I think that's going to be something really interesting for me to see is Shangun is going to be somebody besides KPJ who can help run and facilitate an offense. You have a guy who can get Jabari the ball where he needs to at specific spots of the floor. He's comfortable in for those turnaround jumpers or close to the basket or for those threes. And you can run some of those pin downs or some actions where Jabari is coming off a screen or he's diving inside and can get a layup. So I think not just defensively, but offensively, the Rockets have been working on sets involving Shangun as a facilitator to add next to the pick and roll and five out scheme they ran last year. They're adding more layers to their offense right now, uh, to their offense right now. And one definitely to watch is Shangun out of that high post operating um, out of dribble handoffs. And I think um, Jabari Smith will be a big, big beneficiary based off of early, uh, early eyes. 
And in that respect, Jabari, like, this was the best possible team for him, right? Like, this was the, the like, if he had went to Orlando, I would have really struggled. Like, I would have been really worried about what he was going to do in the NBA. Because just judging off where he was from a shot creation perspective and what Orlando is going to ask their number one overall pick to do this season, like, Jabari's not ready for that. He's just not. And in Houston, all he has to do is play his game. Right, like what you talked about, Alikon. Like everything is just set up for him. All he has to do is step in and play his role to like the best possible level that he possibly can. And I think that you know, dumbing down basketball for rookies is like the like the best possible thing you can do for them. Ask ask them to fit into a role, and then later approve upon their weaknesses. I think that's the the cleanest possible way you can develop players. And, and to add to that, I think what Solomon said is 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 on the money because I know as you guys that watch the team, you Rockets fans, sometimes you groan at, at the offense or whatever. It's not sexy or exciting. But dumbing down the offense and making things simple for guys like Jalen, guys like Kevin, is crucial because when you add a guy like Jabari, who's going to be you know, a 6'10 release valve, it's going to make playmaking that much easier knowing that you have somebody in the corner of the slot or the top of the key that can knock down an open shot that makes your, your, your offense smoother. It makes it more of a, of a humming machine. And I think someone like Jalen Green, who's going to go from year one to year two, who's obviously added mass, obviously gotten better as a playmaker, but wants to keep getting better, you need to have somebody that's reliable on the other end of those passes to you know, turn those into great offense. So I think efficiency-wise, um, adding Jabari to that mix is going to make things a lot more uh, smoother and cohesive than they were last season. And don't you think a uh, a Jalen Green, Jabari Smith pick and roll could be just really, really devastating? You know, they could go with some pick and pops just with his shooting. Uh, you know, Ali Khan brought up brought up um, Jabari Smith as, as a cutter. You almost feel like um, he could be a good role man too in that type of a role. So I, I kind of feel like that. I don't know if they'll be able to get to it right away, but I think as the season goes along, you might see some Jabari Smith, Jalen Green pick and rolls. Yeah, you definitely have to try it. Uh, sh- should we go to uh, the next listener? Should we do Easton real quick? We haven't gotten to Tar Easton yet. Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess I kind of I kind of wanted to see it off a little bit. Uh, for Easton, like when the Rockets initially went to Easton at number se- at seventeen, I was kind I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this makes sense, right? Like like this makes sense for the roster, but I'm like, I'm not sure if I see like a real like upside like creation upside with this guy and you know you looked at guys that were still on the board it was like malachi brennan was still there you had guys who can actually you know create with the ball in their hands and i was like you know easton i'm not when i was when i was watching him in the college level i'm like i'm not sure how translatable some of this stuff is right i kind of talked about that earlier and what he did at the summer league i mean he was first team all summer league right if correct me if i'm wrong i think he was and he was really doing a lot of you know what stuff that i never expected for him to do and i think that's kind of what's exciting to him, to me about Easton now. It's like looking back at it, I was clearly wrong in thinking that he doesn't have playmaking upside. I look at him and ceiling wise, like I, I look at guys who can just be complimentary wing guys who can actually create a little bit when they catch the ba- the basketball, right? And like Jeremy Grant's a great example of this, right? Just a, just a guy who can just fit in. Maybe maybe not be your secondary ball handler, but you know a tertiary guy, a guy who's not like, like an absolute like nothing when he catches the ball. That's perfect, right? Because you, because when you look at what the Rockets have so far usage-wise, these guys are going to take up a lot of usage. Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., um, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shangun. They need guys who just need to who, who can just catch the ball, 
make threes, defend at a high level, especially Eason, who was like rated analytically as one of the best defenders in the draft. And when you look at what he was doing in the open court, I mean, the guy really leaks out, out there. Like sometimes it's cherry picking. Sometimes it's genuinely, he has great instincts, right? Like sometimes he has like Corey Brewer level hands and he'll, ca- he'll catch a basketball, make a four court, four court play and finish, finish it at a high level at the rim. I, I like Eason a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that uh, I, I know they were, they were thrilled to that he uh, made it to them at 17. And like you said, Summer League was just really encouraging, just all the stuff that he can do. And obviously, I think we all know the stuff that he needs to work on, especially the shooting. I think that's going to be the big thing. But yeah, I think that he's the type of guy who can be out there in big spots in, in whenever, whenever they're in postseason games. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for. It, it's not easy to find those guys. Uh, and you know we'll have to wait and see how it translates to an actual NBA floor. But you know I think that what you've seen so far is just is just really really encouraging. Kelly, you're about to speak. My bad. Yeah. Um, if I was to give a player comp for Tari, what kind of role Tari could have? I think of Gerald Wallace a lot. Um, just a high end floor to floor type of guy that can fit in pockets of space. We saw how. He was actually able to make some of those smart dump-offs, smart cuts. He's just a smart player. I think a reason why he impressed the Rockets brass so much is because his energy is contagious. And this is a team that finished, obviously did last in defensive rating last year. And there was a lot of talk internally of how do you get better at that? How do you improve that? Because, you know, so many of those games last year came down to just not knowing how to defend. And Bringing in Tari, bringing in Jabari, two guys that want to defend at a high level, and especially Tari, who's going to come after you and after you and after you. He's like a bigger, you know, Pat Bev in terms of energy and having that, that junkyard dog spirit in him. I think that more than anything is going to change the culture in Houston because he's coming in from day one hungry at camp. You know, he doesn't care about status quo or age or whatever. Like, even at LSU, like, he was – a high wire-to-wire guy at Cincinnati, same thing. Um, obviously, the shot's going to have to improve. And another part of my story I'm working on, you've been working with, with John Lucas on that, but I think you fans are going to be in for a treat um, come camp and preseason and stuff like that. I like Jared Wallace as a comp. That makes sense to me. Uh, here's a name. What about Kawhi Leonard before he became a star, right? Be like, like right up until he won the Finals MVP with the Spurs, like that kind of player. Like, can he become that? Because the guy works his tail off, right? Like, you watch how how much he improved as a shooter at the college level. Like, the jumps were nuts, like absolutely nuts, like statistical outlier jumps that he made. And you know, when you look at that kind of work ethic and that kind of improvement year over year, you look at you think of Kawhi. Right, it's hard not to. Now I'm not I'm not talking about what Kawhi ultimately became. That's too high of a bar to clear, right? I'm not even gonna even try to suggest that. But what he was before he became like a star slash superstar, like that I don't think I don't think that's unrealistic for him. You know, can can he be an NBA starter on a finals team? I'd that that's not that's not unheard of for me. It's not. It's just it's gonna come down to again the shooting like yeah, he improved from what twenty five percent to thirty five. But you know, that's college level, and the volume still wasn't enough for you know NBA starter. But if he can get that NBA starter three point percentage to maybe mid thirties, now you're talking about someone who can be on the floor for 30, 35 minutes again because of the energy alone. He's going to bring that 
you know, from minute one to minute 48. It, the thing I'm looking, I'm really interested to see is just the minutes and what's there for him when the season starts because it's not going to, it's not like he's going to be in, in the starting lineup on day one, but it's just how many minutes are they able to carve out for him early on because there's there's a little bit of a crowd like let's be honest there's a lot of guys on the roster and you can't play everybody so uh that's the the one big thing is in you know last year they had trouble getting guys certain guys minutes and i think that they're they they have more guys this year than they did last year so yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how just like the minutes get get delved out i have a prediction on tarison g league it goes with yeah adam it goes with kind of what you're talking about with the minutes I think with how frustrated Rockets fans were with how little Alper and Shangun played, I think that same conversation is going to happen with Tari, and maybe even Ty Ty in that case. Um, you're just right. There's too many people to play, and yeah, you want to focus on the development of your rookies, but you also still have other second and third year players you need to play and see where they are and how what they can do for your team moving forward. And so, it wouldn't surprise me if Tari Eason plays in the G League. So that that's just something I want to put out there because it's not being talked about. But yeah, no matter no matter how hard he works and and stuff like that, you, there's still a logjam there, and he has to beat out a few guys to be able to get consistent rotation minutes in an eight man rotation, nine man rotation. I mean, the Rockets are full of second and third year players. So uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I don't want to watch him play. I really do. I really enjoyed watching him, and some really think very highly of him. But just based off of what happened last year, even with the rookies last year, right? How they had to earn their playing time. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Tari has to go to the G League for a bit, or even if not the G League, he just is being slowly introduced into playing heavy, heavy minutes. Yeah, and to just kind of piggyback on that, you basically slot Eason at the three or the four. I, I think that you guys would probably agree with that. So you have Jabari Smith there, you have Tate, you have Gordon. Garrison Matthews is still on the roster. Uh, you have KJ Martin is still on the roster. I mean, that, and and I'm sure I'm missing a guy or two also. That's a lot of guys that you have to try and, and give minutes to. And, and then there's Garuba, a second-year guy. Uh, I think he probably slots more as a five. But again, it kind of just fits into the narrative of they've got a lot of guys. they got a lot of mouths to feed. And I'd almost rather you get, you know, is getting five minutes a game in an NBA game going to help you that much? Probably not. You know, it's nice to be up there, but I, I think that that is going to be, we're not going to talk about it on day one, but as we get into camp, we get into the preseason and just the start of the year, just how do you find minutes for everybody is going to be just a really interesting conversation because like I said, it was tough last year uh, and they got more guys that they had to fit in this year. Yeah, you know, every morning I kind of wake up and I check my computer screen for, you know, stories, right? Like just about around the NBA, obviously the Rockets as well. And I remember one morning I just, you know, I was groggy, you know, kind of wiping the cry out of my eyes. And I remember reading a Kelly Eco article and I remember wincing, like kind of like, did I just read that right? And it was that Kevin Martin, you know, Kevin uh, Martin Jr. had requested a trade. I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? Like, is this real? Like Kenyon Martin Jr., is requesting a trade because he's unhappy with his role. And I understand he's unhappy with his role, but the fact that he did that and the fact that it got out there, I was like, I, I don't understand the idea. Like, do you guys, do you guys, have you guys fully comprehended like that Kenyon Martin Jr. requested a trade? And like, like, like should we be talking about that more? Or should we just kind of like, like expect that to go away? Like, is that going to be something that we talk about as we get into the season or, or is it possible that just fades away? Cause that is just such a weird 
conversation that came out of absolute nowhere. I mean, it's definitely going to come up. I mean, we haven't talked to him since. I don't believe. I don't think. Um, I don't think he did any media at summer league. So, I, I mean, that's going to come up at some point. And you know, this was before. I believe this, Kelly. You had this before the draft. And so, I mean, they they added Easton to the fold afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, this it's going to come up. Um, there's no way that it won't. And uh, again, I mean, I, this is the, this is this is what's hard about rebuilds, especially when you're rebuilding and, and drafting so many guys at once. I mean, they've drafted seven guys in the first round in the last two years. Someone's not going to be happy with their role. That's just how it is. Oh, Kelly's uncomfortable. I can tell he's uncomfortable. He's not unmuting his mic. He's just he's just sitting there. No, uh, I, I here, here's what I say. Here's what I say. I think the the forward rotation is going to be packed for sure. But I think a lot of this is going to be cleared out and obvious once we get to uh, training camp and once once we get to preseason and once we see these guys play and once we see once we see who sticks out, I think we'll see. I think we'll see who actually is that worthy of a forward rotation spot. Uh, wait, is, is Kelly? Oh, okay, apparently he was muted. Kelly, you good to go? Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, now we can hear you. Okay, so basically the reason why, and this goes back to what you guys were talking about the minutes, because the truth is that KJ is more of a three, if you want to call him a small ball big at times, cool. There's a lot of gym, and once the Rockets got that, Start picking the lottery, you know, you bring in a guy like Jabari, you bring in a guy like Tari, you extend Jejante, you start going on the roster. It's kind of tough to see where KJ's minutes are going to come from, especially, you know, for a team that has all these young players, they all have to grow, but everybody can't play 25 minutes a night. So that's kind of where the, I guess, the frustrations came from. It's just, He's a young player, too, that, that, that wants to develop his career as well. Um, obviously, the Rockets took a chance on him taking him in the second round, um, and he's done well in the two years he's been here. But uh, for someone that wants kind of a – maybe not a bigger role, but a more consistent role, I think that's kind of where that's coming from. And it's something where I, I think his mental – me, personally, I think everything's tied to Eric Gordon. If Eric Gordon is still on the roster, you know, He's going to play big minutes. You have Tari, you have Jabari. It's hard to see KJ playing more than, you know, 22 minutes a night. And if he's playing, what, 13, 14, is that really best for his development? I think that's the big question you've got to ask yourself here. Now, obviously, the, the Rockets want to keep him because, you know, he's still a valuable young player. They still like him a lot. Um, he hasn't been around as much, but, you know, I, I just think that, it's something that is a bigger issue than what, you know, like the, the things you're seeing about it right now, it's not really being talked about as much right now because camp's coming up. But it is something that you have to address at some point because he wants a bigger role. He wants a, a defined role. You know, if, if it's going to be playing 20 minutes here, okay, is it going to be playing this role or not playing or, not, or getting a DMP for the next two games? You know, that's kind of look at the things right now. So I think more than anything, they want clarity on the situation. So that's what's kind of going on behind the scenes. Um, obviously, there have been teams that have asked for him, but they've all been turned down. Like, <laughs> they've been turned down deals for Eric. 
and stuff like that in the past. But um, I do think Kedge's situation is a bit unique because you don't see that a lot around the NBA, like young players that become unhappy or want a better situation for themselves, um, that they take that route. So it's one to watch as one of the weeks come ahead. Yeah, when you get to that 13 to 14 minutes a game range that Kelly was talking about, you're talking about some nights you might not play. Right, like some nights you might you might just not play, and I, I imagine that would really piss you know someone like KJ Martin off, especially since he's actually had positive contributions. Right now, there are players that are just going to be flat out better than him, and he has to understand that. But I I also understand his per, his from his perspective, you know, like I hey I've done everything I could possibly do within my abilities to earn a rotation spot, so the fact that I don't have that secure makes me uncomfortable. So I get that. But at the same time, like, I'm not sure what the Rockets can just fetch in a straight one-for-one trade for K.J. Martin right now. Like, uh, Ellie, can I ask you this? Is is a late first-rounder out there for K.J. Martin? And if it's not out there, is he even worth entertaining in a one-for-one kind of trade? Because I'll tell you this, I'm not trading for a second-round pick. I, that's not worth it for me if I'm Houston. If it's not worth it for you, if you're Houston, then play him more. I mean, I personally view KJ as a great talent. His second jump is such an elite skill that's going to help him play major minutes in a different team if he ends up going to a different team. I I, I, I get what you're saying, someone, but if you've like if you're the Rockets and you value him very highly, and you won't trade him for a first round pick, then play him more. No, because I mean a, a second round pick. I said he's not the only way I do it is if I'm getting a first, and I don't think a first is out there. Is what I'm saying. I, I, I oh, I'm no, not I mean, doing it for a second. And, and teams teams know that there's no there's no reason to give up a first round pick for KJ Martin mainly because of the the playing time factor, like you talked about. The Rockets will be trying to create more playing time for their other younger players, right? And so, and if I'm a team. I'm looking to get KJ Martin. I think KJ Martin can be a fantastic role player in this league. I remember when KJ Martin was drafted and he spoke with us. Um, it was like the first few weeks he spoke with us and he talked about how he wants to be a star in his role and how he wants to be an elite role player. And he has that mentality and he's worked on his game. He's worked on his shot. He's so athletic. He's working on closeouts. I mean, I think that you want to give more opportunities to KJ and let him learn, let him you know, continue to find his niche as a three, four, five, because Silas likes to play him in those roles. I, I'm very high on him, and, and I would like to see him play a lot more than just giving him up because you have some other rookies or second-year players you want to give playing time to. Right. That, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I think KJ has the potential. And, I, and you've seen him sometimes. I think the problem Stephen Silas has is that he has too many guys that he likes, and he can't play more than five guys at once. But we've seen KJ – operate as a small ball big at times and I think it might not be uh, Bruce Brown-esque but I think with time because KJ is an excellent cutter he knows how to operate without the ball and you hear guys around the league talk about him in a positive manner because they know how he can impact the game without having a high usage. He's improved his shooting since he joined the league. Um, Better rebounder now too. Off the charges, yeah for sure and I think he understands angles and I think for a young player, he takes all those boxes. The only boxes he's not taking is playing time, and that's not his. That's not in his control, right? And you're in a situation where, in a rebuild, you you have all these guys that you want to grow in theory, and you have guys that, that have similar skill sets, but you can only play five at a time. 
And realistically, if you look at a roster, only eight guys are going to be happy at the time, if you want to be completely honest, right? And as long as Eric Ward is still on the roster, it's going to be hard. Now, if Eric is gone, this is a whole different conversation because now it's open season. Tari could get it, KJ could get it, Tate could get it, but Josh could get it. But as long as Eric is still there, I think that's where the issue lies because the Rockets like love Eric so much, but you know he is occupying the same spot that KJ does. Kelly, so, so so let's not waste any time. Let's go there. Let's go. Let's talk Eric Gordon because I I'm kind of curious at this point. Like, what is it going to take for the Rockets to? you know, accept a trade with Eric Gordon because we know they're getting offers and we know that he, there's a market out there for Eric Gordon, right? And it seems like the Rockets are very particular about what they want back. Uh, and I think I think that's the case in both the draft return and the salary right. return. I, I don't think they want to take on any additional money past uh, Eric Gordon's, you know, last season. I think they want to take on uh, expirings, right? Because they want to have that flexibility of the space, right? Because they've been planning... For several years to have this space available and they don't want to just you know sacrifice that at the expense of an eric gordon trade so i am curious like what what do you guys think you know i guess we can start with you kelly like what do you guys think the asking price is here so i i've talked to eric a number of times um this summer honestly speaking all he wants is clarity you know if if he's going to be part of this project then you know give him an extension if he's not, let him loose, right? So the Rockets have got a number of offers. I've put this out a number of times. Um, Eric thought he was gone on draft night, honestly. Um, that was the dude that was really close. We saw the Philly stuff. All I talked about it. All they found did on draft night. Um, it was really close. That didn't happen. It fell through. Um, honestly, I could see them keeping him around. And kind of doing what they did last year, which was at, after the deadline, you know how they kind of lean toward the younger guys. I think they could keep them on and maybe wing these guys in, and then by February, you know, you let them go. I think that would, I think that would be the most realistic outcome. Personally, I don't, I'm not reporting anything, but I just think that for what he brings to the table, I, I see why they've kept him so long. But at some point. You, if you're going to be all in on the rebuild, you can't have 15 young guys on the roster. That's that's crazy. But if you have guys that you want to grow and they're clearly blocked by something else, you have to make a decision. Do you want to have CKJ grow, or would you rather have 30 games of Eric Gordon? You know, I think that's that's kind of what you have to decide as a front office. And and honestly, at this point, I think it's in both parties' best interest to move. I think Eric has done Houston a great service for a number of years. I think you're obviously moving in a different direction. And I, I just think that a trade is best for all parties involved. It helps everyone because now you open up more competition for you know the two three spot. You get to really see who really wants to take that mantle and, and take it going forward. And I think Keeping it, the longer you keep them on the roster, the more questions that, that will come up. And, and as a rebuild, you don't want more questions than answers, right? So I just think that it's something that has to get solved in the next couple of months. Kelly, I, I, I think I think I want to just piggyback off your point. The concept of clarity is so important. 
Um, yeah, like, you know, draft night, Kelly, you know, you and I were texting about it too, that it seems like something was going to happen. Um, and it did it. And I think, I think when it comes down to it, it's not just clarity for Eric. I think it's clarity for the organization. Do you want Eric as that guy, as that veteran who's going to help lead this team into the next generation of whatever this Rockets team will be with this new with this new set of players? An example of that, I want to I want to say, I, and that, it's not a perfect comparison, but it's just an example. Boston with Al Horford. Al Horford went away. He came back, um, and he's he's a longtime veteran, and he's been a big part of their success now. And making it the finals, still a serviceable player. I think Eric Gordon in that same realm is still going to be a serviceable player in the next three, four, five years. And that the Rockets, if they continue to uh, accumulate great players, good young players, and can make that similar Boston step, can Eric Gordon be that Al Horford guy? Is that the type of clarity that you have as an organization where if you are able to get to that point with your roster, Jalen takes that, you know, takes strides that way. Jabari takes that strides that way. Your 2023 pick takes strides. Can Eric, you know, be that veteran for you moving forward? And it seems like every time they're trying to make a trade, something happens and they just let it go. And this, it, it makes me seem like they're doubting themselves if they really want to give him up. Right. And I also think that another reason why maybe, maybe there has been an extension is because if you look towards next summer, you can see why a front office would be so excited about their potential because they're going to have more than 60 million in camp space, right? And next summer is supposed to be a deep class. It's a deep class of, of free agents, right? And I think for where Houston's organizationally, there's a lot of excitement about what they can be in the next two summers, right? But that's kind of why they've been hesitant, I think, in doing some of these deals because – they want as much flexibility as possible, but at the same time, that comes with, like I said, more questions. Like, you're leaving guys' careers in limbo almost, you know, trying to figure out, you know, is this the right spot for your development? And that's kind of where, you know, the, the, the tough sledding comes in. So, I think for Eric's situation, the clarity, like, like you said, is the most important thing because it just helps everyone know what the deal is. And for a team that's trying to move from point A to B to C to D, you need to have everything in alignment. Um, and I think Eric's situation is a big part of it. So how long is he kept in limbo, right? Because you talked about how it would be ideal if this were resolved in the next couple of months. But like, how likely is that? Because could this thing extend all the way out to the trade deadline again? I think so. I think so. Um, because the Rockets are operating from a position of strength right now. They, they don't, they're not pressed to move him, right? So it's kind of the same thing with KJ. Like, yeah, KJ wants out, but the, the leverage is all with the front office. So it's, it's kind of, you know, unless they get a deal where they can't turn down and they got the number of them on jumping, they turn them all down, right? So, you know, Miami, Milwaukee, all those teams came in calling, all got said no. So they might believe that teams will get more desperate or bring better offers in February once the season has gone on for a couple months and injuries might come on. A team might be trying to make a late playoff push or a, a contender wants the extra security for a championship berth. I think that's what they might be waiting for to see kind of how 
if those deals change. I think that's kind of what the fair answer would be. So I, that's why I think, personally, he's still there right now. You know, I, I thought last year they needed to keep him. Um, you saw when, when he was off the floor, they were just a mess without him. Uh, they were a mess without him offensively. They were a mess without him defensively. They they really were not competing in games that he did not play. And, you know, one of the things that someone in the front office said to me at one point last year was, we know, like, when good things tend to happen with our young guys, Eric is involved in, in some way. And, you know, I remember Kevin Porter Jr. after the trade deadline talking about how happy he was that Gordon wasn't traded. But I think that you saw... Those last seven games when Gordon didn't play, when they held him out, the team looked really good. I mean, you saw them have a lot more success when they didn't have him as that crutch. And it kind of felt like that they graduated from needing him. And so that's why I think at this point, it just makes more sense to trade him just to clear out those minutes, clear out that, you know, 25, 28 minutes a game just for somebody else. Um, I I think, like Kelly said, it, it would benefit both sides at this point to just to move on from him at this point. And if maybe they want to bring him back uh, after the season, then they have that option. But I do think that they need to clear out some minutes just to see what they have in some of these second and third year guys, you know, not maybe not necessarily the rookies, but KJ Martin, I like Ali Khan said, KJ Martin needs an opportunity to show what he can do. And they've got to make, you know, they've got to start making decisions on him. So, you know, having Gordon around, you know, it's good. And, you know, he helps them and, you know, he's a really good example for them to have. But, you know, at at some point, I do think that it's probably time for them to move on. I'm surprised they didn't. I I thought, like you guys said, I thought that he was going to get traded before the draft. And it doesn't seem like that you see trades around this time, especially for guys like that. But at some point, if they get an offer where it's a first-round pick and they don't have to take on any future money, I think that they've got to go ahead and just pull the trigger on it. Uh, Adam, I, excellent points. I, I wanted to say something on your point about graduating from Eric Gordon. Whenever you hear from Silas and, and you're one-on-one with him during Summer League and even after the season ended, there's one guy they always pair up with Eric Gordon in terms of just examples for the team. That's Jay Sean Tate. And... I feel as of right now, if Eric Gordon was traded, you would be fine with leadership in the locker room because Jay Sean Tate has taken that role. Even when John Wall was gone last season, who was taking on the responsibility, spoke in front of media, you know, was always honest, was always straightforward. And we all know this. It was Jay Sean Tate. And so for me, I, I, I think if you do trade Eric Gordon, you will be fine leadership-wise because you still have Jay Sean there who's such an influential guy in the locker room, has a great relationship with all the players, is there every single day, can be that example for you, and can also, and is currently the vocal leader on the team. And he is he's just well-respected by everybody in that locker room, too. I think that's a that's a, a key point, is that he has the respect of all the guys in there. So, yeah, I, that that's a great point that you just made. Yeah, you guys don't have to raise your hand. You're all speakers. Um, All right, so um, you know, you, <laughs> we talked about we talked about how, you know, this situation gets resolved, right? Like these kind of unhappy slash confused players, right? Eric Gordon, KJ Martin. Is there a possibility? Because I actually, this is something I could actually see happening, right? Where like, I don't think KJ Martin is good enough for, or like a good enough asset rather to be traded in a one for one. I just don't think a first round pick can be had for him individually. But I think you could use him as a real sweetener in the deal to get yourself a better first round pick, right? Let's just say Houston's holding out for like this really good first round pick. Can you throw KJ Martin into an Eric Gordon trade and sweeten the pot? 
and perhaps if you're getting late first right now, now you're getting mid first. Is that a possibility? I mean, it kind of depends on though the team that you're looking at. I mean, the number of teams that are. I mean, you can't go trade with the Suns and say, "Hey, we'll 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 throw in." I mean, are you trying to like get protections lifted? Is that kind of your idea there? Is to say like, "Okay, well, we'll trade you Eric Gordon, but uh, we want but we want the pick to be lottery protected." Are you trying to like take take away protections from the pick? No, is that I, is I, that what you mean by sweetener? No, what I mean sweetener, I mean like good pick. Like if you're if you're, if you're dealing with the Suns, you're probably you're gonna get a pick in the in the twenties. I, I imagine. Houston Are you talking about hold- after the season? Right, I'm talking about a like a an Eric Gordon trade. Right, they're clearly holding out for their most ideal Eric Gordon trade, which would probably you know require a good first round pick and salary that that doesn't ex- extend past this season. Right. And I don't think they're going to get both of them. I think they're probably going to get one of them. I think they're probably going to get a deal that that involves them getting back like normal salary, like salary that matches Eric Gordon and a, and a late first round pick. Is there a possibility that they inc- they increase the value of that late first round pick? Like the, perhaps they're getting back instead of a late first round pick, like a mid first round pick, like a, a pick that's in the teens. If you include KJ Martin, but how are you doing this exactly? You're trading with the team that's really desperate, like the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Now, the Lakers are really tough to make deals with because they pretty much only have Russell Westbrook's salary, right? If Houston were to trade with them, they pretty much have to include all the Dallas guys, Eric Gordon, and Garrison Matthews, right? And K.J. Martin. And they still wouldn't have enough salary. It, it might even require a third team at that point. But but that's the kind of desperation I'm talking about. Not not specifically the Lakers, but a team like that that does just doesn't have much to go off of. But they have good valuable firsts just sitting there, and they're willing to give those up. I think that's the kind of team you target if that's if Houston is is you know headstrong on trying to get what they want. Well, I mean, it's easy to put Martin into any trade just because the you know the salary isn't very high. Um, but I don't know if you can necessarily you know it's like if you're if you're only trading with one team, you can't like go and like have your choice of first round picks. You know what I mean? Well, what I'm saying is like like the Lakers. I don't think are going like in in 2024 when they when they those picks start conveying right when they can actually start trading those picks. That Lakers pick, I don't think is going to be very like late in the teens, in the twenties. I think it's going to be. I think it's actually like a, a decent chance that that picks a lottery pick, right? I think that pick is the most underrated asset in the NBA. The Lakers pick that they've been they've been, uh, you know, dishing around the NBA alongside, um, you know, just a poo poo platter, right? That that Lakers pick because they're throwing out the poo poo platter makes has become underrated. And I think that's something that can be had by a team. And there are picks like that out there. I don't have them off the top of my head. I don't have a list of standings in front of me. But there are t- there are picks like that out there that you can you can get from a team that's just trying to make a playoff push. You know, you know, you know maybe they don't have realistic chances at contention, but they have chances at playoffs, right? And you know, players like KJ Martin and Eric Gordon can help them get over the top. And perhaps they're not good. You know, that team is just not good enough to get into like you know, home court advantage territory. And then you're talking about a return that perhaps they're willing to take on. And I think that's kind of where I would use KJ Martin as a sweetener. And But the other angle that you have to look at it, with this whole thing is at what point are picks, like how many picks is too, too many picks, right? So if the issue with KJ is there's not enough time to play him, does it really make sense to trade him for another pick to get another young player that's going to end up going through the same thing 
potentially in a year or two, as opposed to just keeping KJ and seeing what happens with that. Like, I think that's kind of another angle to that whole situation because you just really don't know what's like what happens. Like, you, you hold all the marbles right now in the situation. Like, he's under contract, he's a young player, and he's cheap. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'd rather keep KJ, but I'm saying if it gets so untenable, right. there's a there's a there's a pathway to solve two problems with one solution, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like we've tackled all things. You guys have Adam. You have anything to add? No, I I just I wanted to say to those listening to us live here on Twitter Spaces, if you have any questions, please you know raise your hand, request to speak you know we've only taken one so far we want to make sure that we get you guys in the conversation so um if you do want to contribute you have you have a question about what we what we just talked about please please raise your hand all right should we go to stoned silas here let's see he is up who in the world is about to start a small forward for us Um, if I were Houston and this is the roster I'm faced with, I'd just go with Eric Gordon. I mean, I just think it's the easy answer. I think um, he provides floor spacing, provides you know adequate defense. I I think it's it's an answer that everybody that nobody's going to argue with. Like if you were to start, like, let's just say, if you were to start Tari Eason, does that upset Jay Sean Tate, who's been here for a while, right? Like do, like you know does does he get upset? Like hey, I, I, this is my spot to earn. But if you start Eric Gordon over Jay Sean Tate, which there's a possibility that Jay Sean Tate gets that spot anyway, so maybe I'm wrong. But if you start Jay, if you start Eric Gordon over, um, I mean, I'm sorry, if you start Tar Eason over Jay Sean Tate, um, that that just creates some problems. And I think if you start Eric Gordon over Jay Sean Tate, like I, I think that that's someone he respects. That's someone he's willing to step aside for. But that's just me. You know, the Rockets may see things differently, and I just don't think Jay Sean Tate is a good, an adequate enough floor spacer for me to start at small forward or play at small forward. Frankly, I think he's a four. There's also, you know, the Stephen Silas angle, which is, you know, this past offseason they essentially took a step back and allowed Stephen to craft the staff he wanted. Right. So we all know we all know that Eric Gordon is a Stephen Silas favorite. Right, because of what he brings on both sides of the floor. So, I, I I think that I think that you know there's another angle to this where you know Steven really wants it as well. So I think we're seeing that as well. I would, I mean, if it were me, I would start Gordon. But all I can do is go by what Silas said, and I this was this was unprompted by him when I talked to him at summer league. He basically talked up you know, playing Alperin Shingun and Jay Sean Tate together. He likes the two of them together. He does not like, you know, he felt that when Tate was on the floor without Shingun, that teams would just put their centers on Tate. He does not want teams to be able to do that. And so that kind of made me feel like, well, that they'll just go with Tate in the starting lineup. Again, it's very early. We'll see how things shake out. But Silas kind of hinted that they were, that at least, uh, you know, on whatever that day was, July, whatever, he was leaning Tate in the starting lineup with Shingun. And and Jabari Smith, for which me, I don't understand. Up. Which I, I don't understand at all. I'm sorry. There's to no way you're starting Tate over Gordon, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. It just floor, dude. Your floor spacing is the most important thing. And after that horrendous start, that Tice dude, thing, dude. Tice, Tice and yeah, Blake, you're, you start your floor the spacing season? is everything. Floor spacing is everything, especially with the Shangun lineup. You, you need floor spacing, and so for me, it just makes so much sense to have Eric Gordon there. 
Um, yeah. even, even NBA politics wise, there's no way you're going. There's no way you can look that. Hey man, yeah, I, I agree with you, but all I can do is go by what the man said. Yeah, me, me and Alikon are on the same page here. That would completely be a disaster on on the offensive end of the floor. It, it would it's just like, like, it's like you're begging for the same start all over again. Exactly, you, well, you're you're doing this. You're doing the Tice thing. The difference, uh, you have you're you're better at it with Smith and, and Tice though. You know what I mean? In what sense? I mean, you're 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 doing the Christian Wood. Smith is a better Wood shooter than Tice. Smith yeah, but you, you, you lost Tice. Christian Wood. Yeah, but Shingun's not as good. I mean, Shingun is not as good a shooter as Wood, but it's not that far off. You know what I mean? I think it's pretty far off at this point. I mean, if, if the guy the guy was not willing to shoot threes last year, I love Shingun. Right? He's just not there as a reliable three point shooter yet. And if I'm the Rockets. Like I want to put the same thing I'm doing with Shangun where I'm surrounding him with floor spacing at all times. I'm doing that very same thing with Jay Sean Tate and putting him in the in the starting lineup next to Shangun is a disaster waiting to happen in my opinion. Until one of them gets to a 35% clip from the corner or from the wing, you you can't you can't play them together. At least that's my that's my mindset right now in the starting lineup. Yeah, and and if he does this, like if if that's his opening day like lineup, I I I think there's going to be a lot of strong opinions, and I'm I'll just say this: I will partake in some of those strong opinions. I just, I just I just I just think that yeah, that is. I don't, I don't think he's starting. It's it's going to be Gordon. It's, it's going to be Gordon. Yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah. with Kelly on this. It's going to be Gordon. There's no question. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's move to a lighter topic here. Uh, do you guys think KPJ deserves an extension? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? Alan, gonna go first. I'll um, go. You want me to go? Alan, yeah, you go. I'll go. Um, I would say no. I don't think that there's any reason to do it at this point. Um, you're essentially bidding against yourself right now. And, you know, I, I like Kevin Porter Jr. as a person, I like him as a player. But right now, there, I, I don't think that there is a, a team in the league. That is that would be willing to give him any sort of you know big financial commitment at this point. So, and he could have a great year next year, and I, and I think that um, that the answer would still be the same. So I, there's no reason for me to do it right now. Plus, it ties up your cap space. I mean, his cap hold, his cap hold after next season is basically nothing. So why are you tying up your cap space unnecessarily? So I would say there's no reason to do it right now. Um, I, I want to bring up a few points before I give my answer. First point is he became a starting point guard when he played in the G League during the bubble, right? Uh, 2021. And then, then in 2021, he came to Houston and started playing point guard here. So realistically, he's only been a point guard in terms of calendar year for about 18 months. And as of right now, just based off of that fact alone, I do not think, Right now, I'm ready to. If I was the Rockets, I'd be ready to give him a contract extension. Now, if it comes back and it's a team friendly contract, we'll get there. We'll get there in a second. We'll get there in a second. Then you get get to a point. But as of right now, before the season starts today, I would not give him a a contract extension. Kelly. Um, Yeah, I think, like I said, it depends on the number. if it's something similar to what Tate signed, I, I don't see the, the problem in doing that. But if it becomes a situation where, you know, it's eating into your next summer's cap where you want as much room as possible, I don't think you would do that. I think you'd rather wait and see, put him in a prove-it year. Because it's essentially win-win for Houston. Like, if you don't give him a deal now, 
he's going to want to prove to you why you should have, and he might have a great year, which is good for Houston. Or if he, or if he does, or if you don't get the deal done, then you still have next summer to explore the market and stuff like that. But um, I just think that the reason why it's weird is because you kind of have to see like how that all came together in terms of what he's been asked to do. Obviously, some of the off the court stuff, like you know, the, the, with the dismissal in January or whatever, that's that's bad. But um, the last, I want to say. Eight to ten games of the year, and I talked to Kevin about this like recently. But he really—it just seemed like he really was kind of the game was slowing down for him. And I, I do think a lot can be gleaned from that situation in terms of what he can be, you know, yeah. in this system. And the the sense I get from Kevin is that he he really took those games to heart. Those last eight to whatever games. He really, really took those games, ingested them, walked them over and kind of seeing how passive angles opened up, how the floor was spaced for him adequately, how to play off Jalen, how to how to let Jalen flourish as well. Um and I, I really think that this coming season, you know, he he's talked about um not letting this be a distraction, like the contract stuff is gonna one way or the other, it's going to work itself out, right? So, um, him just wanting to lock in and trying to improve as a person and also as a team player, I think that's kind of what you want to see in a rebuild. So, if it comes out that, you know, he signs a, a four-year 36 or, or a 432, you know, I, I do think that there's more good than bad that comes from that. No, it's oh, something worse. I, I just don't think he's gonna get like, that number. I'm just, I, well, like, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. If you go back to what Tate signed for, which is what three twenty-two. So okay, so right. Like well, but but so, this so is why I don't four. think he's gonna get that number. He, he, by the way, I'm pretty happy with where I am in life. I will say this: if Jay Sean Tate needs a new agent, hire me. Hire me. I will get you something better than what you just got. Like well, that. That was the, one of the most sweetheart deals of the off season. The Rockets got an absolute bargain there with Jay Shante. That deal is going to look insane once the next CBA kicks in. It, it already looks insane. Well, it's too late now. Well, okay. Well, my point is, my point is that with 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 Scoot, like, if he's getting an offer of anywhere between what seven to nine, I see why the Rockets would do it, but I don't know if Kevin would. You know, because he's young, he's talented. The projections are probably going to be in his favor. Uh, you can kind of bet on yourself. The only problem is around the league, you, you kind of have to fix your image, right, in terms of what other teams perceive you as because of what they've seen in the past. So um, this is why the Rockets, again, have all the leverage again, which is what they want, you know, because – Yes, they want to get a deal done if it, if it suits them and it behooves them, but they're not in a situation where their hands tie behind their back if they don't, right? Because if Kevin doesn't get a deal by opening night, he's, he, he, he'll be restricted next summer, right? So they can still bid on themselves again and see what the market <laughs> wants to pay him. So I don't really see the whole rush to get something done now. Yeah, couple couple other important points just to add on to Kelly's um, discussion. There's like you can visibly 
and audibly hear it from KPJ when he talks about his love for Houston. And he talked about it today uh, when the media met with him that, you know, he loves Houston. He appreciates all the city and the fans do. And that's true. And I will tell you in the front office too, you know, high level front office, they really like him as a person. They want to believe in him. Um, Steven Silas has a good relationship with him. He wants to believe in him. John Lucas wants to believe in him. So that that's all there. I mean, he, he, there's, there's nothing about that he's not well-liked here. I think what Kelly said, though, is very, very important, the perception around the league. And how does that usually work? Well, these scouts or coaches, they, they talk to other people. They talk to each other at different games. Like, oh, did you hear about Kevin Porter Jr.? Did you, did you hear about this? And oftentimes, those types of conversations play a big role in determining what the images of a player are fair or not fair. Um, and so I, I think this is a big season for him because honestly, just from looking at what he's done, those last six games playing next to Jalen, learning and figuring out how to play next to him, how well they played offensively, how well they played together defensively. I mean, they look great. And I'm, I'm very high on KPJ going into the season, but you know, his, his leadership, his ability, what he does on the court, his body language, when a shot goes up and how he gets back in transition all of that will be under a microscope when teams are determining, is he a kind of player we want to take a flyer on to be a potential starting point guard or being a, a potential six man? Whatever his role is after the season, this will play a big role in determining whether or not not only is he here, is he a point guard, is he a combo guard, and what his, you know, what what people think of him around the league. Let me, yeah, I mean, let me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let me just add to that real quick. If, if, if Kevin Porter Jr. goes to them and says, I want four years, $36 million, if I'm the Rockets, I do that in a heartbeat. The only thing is, he's Same. probably going to want three times that. And right. I mean, you see you see what these guys, what guys are getting signed for out of that draft class. I mean, he's going to want closer to the, you know, the Jalen Brunson type deal or the R.J. Barrett type deal. And that's what these guys are going to want, and that's what they should want. I mean, you gotta, you're trying to maximize your earnings while you can. The problem for him, and you know, this is what Ali Khan was talking about with the reputation and just the image. If you go around the league and you ask them, you know, you ask executives, what do you know about Kevin Porter Jr.? They're going to mention two things. They are going to mention the blow up in Cleveland, and they're going to mention the locker room thing here. Like that's basically what he's known for now, and so it's really his job over the next year. He's got to change that. You know, he's got to change how he's viewed and how he's portrayed around the league, and so. I, I think that if I'm the Rockets, I'd basically challenge him and say, hey, we want, you know, we, we like you, we believe in you, we trust you, but we got to see it a whole year. All right. We got to see you do this for an entire 82 game season. We need you to come in, be focused and give everything you've got every single night, because I think that we can all agree that wasn't always the case. So I'm I'm telling him it's a prove it year. Um but I, I'm just not doing anything big right now just because I don't want to compromise the cap space. I mean, you can they're going to have a ton of cap space right now, even with his cap hold. I mean, his cap hold, again, is really nothing. Uh, so they're going to have a ton of cap space going into next year. And you kind of, you know, if, if let's say he goes to them and says, I want four years and 80. Well, now some of that cap space is, is compromised. So you can have a big summer next year and still um, – you know, and still keep him in restricted free agency if that's what you want to do, if you wait. 
Yeah, here's what I'll say. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is the reason restricted free agency exists. Like players like this, right? Players like where we we're not quite sure what his market value is, right? So it's best to just let the league test it out. Let the league dictate what his market value is. I mean, you, you talk about uh, players demanding insane amounts of money. I mean, Anthony Simons this summer signed a four-year, hundred million dollar contract, and nobody blinked. Nobody blinked. Like I mean, like I I needed an oxygen tank. Meanwhile, the rest of the NBA seemed to move on very quickly. Like like that's the kind of money that's being given out right now. And if I'm the Rockets, I'm very hesitant to give anything above like 15 mil a year. And if I'm doing that, I'm I'm like I'm putting significant incentives in that contract. You can the most incentives you can put into a contract is 15. percent I'm I'm putting all 15 percent performance based incentives in there. Well, and the- I'm. Go Sorry, ahead. I, no, yeah, no, go ahead. Finish. Yeah, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm non guaranteeing some of those 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 last years on the contract, making make, protecting myself as much as possible. And I think you have some leverage here. Now, I think this next season is going to determine a lot of what you give him next summer. Um, and I think a lot of what we're talking about may be you know fruitless because hell, maybe the Rockets just see him differently. Maybe the Rockets are in the process of working out an extension with them right now. And for all we know. They they think he is worthy of that. I just think I'm not, you know, the question I'm asking myself if I'm the Rockets is, is Kevin Porter Jr. 100% a slam dunk to be the starting point guard of my team in the next, you know, five years? I don't think, I don't know if I can say that for sure. Like, I, I need to see a lot more. And I, I tend to lean no right now, to be completely honest. And, you know, the Rockets, you know, internally, they need to ask themselves that question. Like, can he be our point guard of the future. And if they think if they think he's that guy, if and if they think he's that guy with certainty, yeah, go offer him that extension. But if you're not sure, let the process play out. This is what it's there for. Um so restricted for agency exists to screw over the players. I mean it's not, you know, for guys like Kevin Porter Jr. It's just to screw over the players so that they have to so that they're basically locked into whoever drafts them for for a long time. Um but I, I think you you see a lot of these big deals get handed out like the Anthony Simons, you know, contract. And a lot of times it's because the team has no choice. The team has to keep their guy. They can't afford to lose them for nothing because you lose the asset and you don't have cap space. The Rockets are in a different boat. Because- I, I, I don't think so. Because like at, at this point, is Anthony Simons an asset anymore? Because now that you well, signed this now. deal. Right. Yeah. Because, now, so, they, so you've, so you've the lost the is, asset though, anyways. No, no, but they can't replace him. And you're seeing that with Dallas, where Dallas loses Jalen Brunson for nothing. And because they're capped out, they don't have the ability to replace him. So in that terms, you have to keep, you have to match you know, that deal in order to keep the player. The Rockets are in a different position because they're, you know, they can let Kevin Porter Jr. go. And yeah, you lose the player, you lose the asset, but they have the cap space in which to replace him moving forward. So that's why the Rockets are in a, they're in a, a more flexible situation here because they can let him go. And yeah, you lose the player. But you have the cap space in order to replace that player. Whereas, you know, you saw it with in Dallas, uh, Jalen Brunson wasn't restricted, but they lose him for nothing. And now they don't have the ability to replace him because they have no cap space. Anthony Simons, you know, they could have, Portland could have just let him go, but they did not have the cap space to replace him in any way. So this is what we think. What do you think the Rockets think? Do you think there is still a possibility that a deal gets worked out before the season starts? I don't think so. Um, I, I just, I, I can't imagine that. I imagine that he has a number in mind, and I can't imagine the Rockets are going to be interested in that sort of big, you know, eight eight figure deal, maybe even a low nine figure deal. I can't imagine that they would be interested in that right now. 
Wait, what was the question? I missed it. Did you say that Houston thinks they'll get done? Is that what you said? Yeah. No, do you think that they will? Oh. Um. The only way I can see, the only way I can see them getting it done right now is if is if Kevin's people were convinced like they maybe sign a two on one and they test the market again in two years, or you know the Rockets just say, hey, they're going to give you eight million now, take it or leave it. It would, it would be up to. If, if they can project him to earn more than that, you know, over the time, so that's what I think will happen. But honestly speaking, I, I I think it can get done, but I would lean more towards no because of the money, right? It just becomes what does Kevin want? Does he want the security now, or does he want to bet on himself? And I think as a young player, we've seen both. We've seen the Anthony Simons capitalize on on, on a circumstance and get paid. And you've seen other guys like, you know, like the Dennis Schroeder situation and and, 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 and losing that situation. So I think with Kevin, um, it's really going to come down to projections and what the, the, the other, the, the league thinks of him and what he thinks he can attain in the next two to four years. Alikon? I think, I think it's going to come down to what the current offer is, if there is an offer. If not, then... Like I, I've already talked about it ad nauseum. It's it's just simply going to be about what the perception is across the league and can he change it? And, and Adam, you talked about the Cleveland incident and what happened here in the locker room. I mean, it's on the court too. Scouts they pay attention to what he does when his shot goes up and he's not and he's not the first one back in transition or defensively. I mean, people pay attention to that more because of what's happened to him. And fair or not fair. That's going to be something he has to overcome this season. And like I said, I'm very high on him this season. I think he can have a successful season, especially if he cuts down on his turnovers, which you, he showed glimpses of that late in the season. But, you know, let, let's let's see what happens. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope, I hope he does get a good contract and he's able to set himself up and his family up as well. Yeah, this is what I'll say. I think there are three like categories I need to see him take significant jumps in before – I'm willing to give him that extension, right? And, you know, obviously he hasn't made those ju- those jumps yet, so I, I'm probably going to wait till restrictive free agency to offer him a deal. But the three categories are, uh, you mentioned it, Alikon, turnovers, right? He, his assist-to-turnover ratio has to get better than this, right? If he's going to be a point guard in the NBA, he has to take, take care of the basketball. Defense, right? You need a plus defender next to Jalen Green, right? Because as of this moment, Jalen Green is not projected to be a plus defender. And you can't have two negatives in the backcourt. It just doesn't work out in the NBA. Not in championship teams. Uh, third, shooting efficiency. Right, He needs to get better at finishing at the basket or finishing at the free throw line. One of those two, it has to get him to at least league average. right? And if you can get there, that's fine. Like it, just, just improve in two of, those, two of those three categories. And like in, in a significant enough way. And I, and I think I'm willing to you know, entertain giving you significant money. But as of right now, obviously he hasn't made those jumps, so I, I'd probably wait it out and see what he does. Uh, let's, you want to get to questions, Adam? Yeah, um, I just pulled up Far West, so you can go whenever you're connected. I think you're up. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Good to uh, have some Rockets content back here. Uh, thanks a lot for holding this. Um, I had a question, actually, for you guys about the 
a uh, basic daily grind of your job. But um, if it's okay, before I get into that really quickly, I just wanted to push back on one thing you said about um, Shangun and Tate not working together due to spacing. And people are, everybody obviously had big issues with how things went at the beginning of last season. And uh, obviously Tate got, or Tice got a lot of blame for uh, space, spacing issues. Um, personally, I'd argue Tate was probably a bigger issue. But I think that Tate and Sengun could actually work together is the point I'm going to try to get across here. Because uh, unlike Tice, both of these guys are facilitators that can really work well in the post, both in terms of uh, passing the ball and getting the uh, ball to somebody else who is in a better position to shoot. Like with Tice, you so frequently, and with Wood for that matter, it's just black hole. As soon as you throw it into them, you know that they're going to be focused on just getting the shot up as soon as they can. Um, but I, I think Shengun and Tate could work together. I do see why uh, Silas would want to try to keep the center off of Tate to uh, give him a little bit more. But um, I, I think bottom line movement is going to be able to do a lot more for that lineup than uh, you guys are possibly giving it credit for being able to move the ball um, could alleviate some of the problems we saw. And it's also worth remembering that, you know, this was taking place at the very beginning of Jalen Green's career. This was taking place at uh, the beginning of the Kevin Porter Jr. point guard experiment. They, they were not ready to deal with the issues that they came across. And so I think with the growth that we've seen from them, uh, there, there's a lot better chance of that lineup working than uh, necessarily you guys are giving it credit for. And I, I would give it a shot. Um, I, I don't know if anybody wants to comment that before counter, I go to my question. Well, I would counter with a question of my own. Yeah, yeah. In today's NBA, can two non-shooters be on the floor at the same time? Because I just don't think you can anymore. Well, I think that we've seen that. Like, uh, for example, um, let's look at the Golden State Warriors uh, starting Looney and Draymond Green together, you know. Uh, now, granted, you've, you've got... And here, Draymond Green is the facilitator that I'm talking about, you know, being able to move the ball from those front court positions if you don't have the shooting there, being able to uh, get it to the next guy who can uh, very effectively, which is what you get from guys like Tate and Alperin that you don't get from guys like Wood and Tice. Um, but being able to move the ball is a way to... Uh, get around some of the issues that you get with um, shooting spacing, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think you can. Oh, fair, fair counterpoint. That that was a lineup that worked. Uh, then again, I would I would also say that you know you just you know you you try to start a lineup that you believe can close, and that lineup clearly wasn't something the Warriors were comfortable closing games with because they went with Draymond at center when it ultimately mattered. But I hear I hear you. I, I I think I think it's possible to get away with it, especially if you're just starting it and then you get away from it really quickly. I think you can do it. It's just really difficult, and I don't think Silas is a guy I trust at this point to pull it off. But if 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 you believe so, I mean, I, I you know more power yeah. to you. I I just at, at this point, I haven't seen enough from him offensively from a creative standpoint to have that kind of confidence in him yet. Yeah, Drew, I I I see what you're saying and. There is a way for movement to work, but when you're playing with a young young team, that's just going based off of more so, you know, just basic principles in their actions versus more layered um, attacks in terms of offense. Like every team in the league runs various types of sets, right? Like you see it on NBA Twitter all the time. Um, you can look it up what these mean, but like Chicago action, delay, 21 series. A lot of these are like five out type of offenses, right? And 
they go along with movement and you can move your non-shooters into roles where they're setting flare screens or they're cutting or they're slipping, whatever it may be. And we saw that with Jay Sean. Um, Jay Sean wasn't in the dunker spot, which we were like at times if he was playing with Shangoon or they weren't doing those things. But maybe this season they can start implementing that. And over the course of the season, if that's the case, maybe those non-shooter uh, lineups work. So it's like Jay Sean has even talked about that, you know, trying to become a better passer. So I, I, I see what you're saying. But I think in terms of just what optimally works in a five-out lineup, what's consistently been shown across the league to work is just better to have only maximum one non-shooter on the court. And for that reason, I think that's why we were talking about it. But you're right. I, 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 there, there are opportunities and spots where you can play those two non-shooters in a lineup together and it can work. I'm just worried about the spacing. And one last pushback, not a pushback, but Borns is just something to think about. Jay Sean's great on the left. Al P also likes to operate on the right, but he also likes to go left to right as well. Um, if both are in the game and both are trying to score down the little block, who's going to be along the perimeter? Are they moving around? Are they doing things like you're saying that the Warriors are able to do, right? So that's the biggest question if you're going to play those two together. But uh, I don't want to deviate too much away from the the point you were trying to make, but I just I wanted to be able to share that. Yeah, and I, I should also predicate good points all around. I should also predicate that I, I was not actually seeing them as starters. Uh, I, I would see that as uh, personally, I think LP should start, but then be uh, rotated out early so that he can come in at the end of the quarter and uh, lead the bench unit with his uh, ability to run the offense as well as he does. And I would see Tate coming then in to run that bench unit with LP uh, in, in the end of court, end of the first, beginning of the second time frame. So th this would not be a starting situation to go back to what somebody was saying earlier. Um, and, but yeah, and, and too, here's a way it can work. Like, what if one of these two guys become, goes into the next season and, and shows that they're shooters now, right? Like, if Jay Sean goes into next season, we know he's working on the jump shot. What if he comes into next he season? Out. Yeah. What if he comes into next season and he's shooting like 35 percent from three? Right. Then, yeah. then you can. Then you. Then it works. Then it works, so, and all, so all our doubts are removed. That's of why course. I wrote, I wrote early in the offseason that the most underrated part of this rebuild is Jejante becoming a good shooter because it fundamentally changes everything that the Rockets can do. If, if he becomes somebody that you can rely on consistently, now you can put him in different packages. Now you can run, you know, Uber lines of Tate, Shangun with, with all playmaking all around and you can kind of see, because Tate is also a good defender as well, he's also versatile. Um, if he becomes a, a league average shooter, that raises the Rockets' floor instantly. And, and I imagine they think that's a possibility. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given him the extension. Right. So I think that they, they showed a lot of confidence in giving him the extension that he can get to that league average type level. I mean, at that price, it doesn't even matter if he's league average. That's just, that's just such a steal of a contract. I, I, I think I'd be comfortable giving it to him if he, if he stays at this level, honestly. That, that's how much I liked that contract for Houston. Um, but you did ask a second question. Uh, was it the rigors of the job, right? That was a question? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just going to ask, um, you know, basically, if you guys get a break, <laughs> you know, we, we know how off, often you're in press conferences with them simply because we obviously see the results of those press conferences. But uh, beyond press conferences, both in the regular season and also during the off season, during the times like this, how often would you say you guys are in communication with the Rockets front office or staff? Uh, how, how hard are you plying your trade? Uh, when you aren't in the press conferences and uh, that goes both for again regular season and off season like right now when was the last time any of you spoke to Stone recently for example 
uh, I mean, Kelly is a great example because he actually travels to every away game. But I mean, for me, it's like I it's it's a pretty it, it was such a rigorous job that I just couldn't do it anymore. Like the, the day-to-day home home game traveling and going to practice every morning, it just took to wait far too much of my time. Where I, I I'm just I'm not at games anymore. I, I I'm I'm not afraid to admit it. I just can't. I don't have the time anymore in my schedule. Because you you go there at four four p.m. right you're at the, you have to get to the arena at four p.m. for a seven p.m. start right because the you know Silas speaks at four fifteen and then uh, you gotta stay there you're an hour ahead yeah okay you, you got to get there by five right and Silas speaks at five fifteen the game starts at seven you're probably gonna stay there if you, if you're writing a story a game story which I was which Kelly was which you know I think Adam was too like you're probably gonna stay there till like eleven o'clock sometimes midnight. And that, 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 you know, that includes like waking up early in the morning the next day to go to practice, which, which sometimes is like eight, nine, sometimes 10 a.m. Right. And, you know, we don't all live close to the arena. So that's a commute for us. So it's a pretty rigorous job. And for, for Kelly, I mean, it's even more so because the guy was flying. So I, it, it is, it is pretty rigorous, I would say. I mean, if you don't like getting to the arena at five, I don't think you'd like covering baseball. I got to get there at three. Kelly's there in the first quarter. <laughs> no, it's it, uh, you know our our jobs are different. I mean, you know, Kelly is is focused solely on the Rockets. You know, I I got to jump around from sport to sport. So, you know, the, the season ended, and then I basically put the Rockets aside for you know what a month and a half until the lottery, and then the lottery happened, and I put the Rockets aside really until the draft. So I kind of got reversed in, into Rockets right before the draft. And then I went to Summer League and then I was, you know, focused on on Astros again. And so I'm just now once again getting back in into Rocket stuff. So, you know, every every now and then you you'll I'll I'll cross over during the baseball season because, you know, there are a couple times where uh Christian Wood threw out the first pitch before an Astros game. So we were able to to catch up with him a little bit. That was right before the trade happened. Uh Josh Christopher threw out the first pitch, uh, I think it was sometime last month. So we had a chance to catch up with him. So, you know, it, just the jobs tend to be tend to be different, and yeah, they, the days can be long. I prefer NBA though to to baseball because, like I said, for a seven o'clock baseball game, I'm getting there at at two thirty to be in the clubhouse at three, and and baseball games are a whole lot longer than basketball games. Let me tell you. Yeah, uh, like so, so are that you can get there at five. Sometimes, like if if you want to build relationships with people from the visiting team. You would get there around four when even like doors open usually for media. Get there around four. You chill. In That's the dirty of- little secret, right? You got to get there early to network. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I used to get there early all the time. I would leave class and I would go straight. Um, and I would I would get there. You know, just try to get to know people. Um, you know, build relationships that way. Um, and then around five, like so months, it's five fifteen is when at a home game. Um, the Rockets coach would speak. Five thirty is when the opposing coach would speak. Locker rooms open, so usually not everybody talks pregame. It's usually just some, some, some players talk pregame, um, and then you know you can watch some warm up. I mean, it's 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 a it's a grind. Like in terms of you wanting to be able to network and do things, that's 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 what the pregame is for. So you got to get there early for that. Then obviously during the game, if you're like me, I mean I, I'm paying attention. I'm writing notes. Like I'm constantly putting these in my notebook. And you're watching the game, and then after the game, you got to be able to go to the coach's presser, go back and forth between locker rooms. Like I remember, Adam used to go 
dart between the opposing locker room and the home locker room all the time for a story he was working on, right? So it's 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 tough. It's not. I mean, it's great. I, I don't think anybody here is not going to say they're not blessed to be able to have had a chance to do it. Um, but it's it's a tough job because there's a lot that goes into it, and you know you're working in a time pressure type of environment, um, and so. And so sometimes that, these players don't want to yeah. talk to you. I remember PJ Tucker would, would like run away from us. Like literally he would like be scheduled to speak and he'd find a way to slip out of the locker room. And like like that's the kind of that happened all the time with us. Like like, like you'd you you'd want to corner a player, right? You you'd almost have to like like strategize how how you get him one on one. So you have to find a way to slip in there and get the player one on one. And it, it it's hard. It's hard. It, it's Soma, Soma don't care design. anymore. He's just talking freely. <laughs> he let that thing go. That's basically what they're there for. <laughs> oh my god! Well, y'all didn't even answer this man's question. He asked y'all about breaks. Come on, there's your job. Doesn't care about. Yes, that. thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly, so, Kelly, as a beat writer on a daily day to, on a day to day basis, why don't you go first and then we'll yeah. We'll find so, in. how about your breaks? I, I would say. For breaks, this is the time. Like late August, early September is when most people in the league, the league take their vacations. They take their breaks. They unwind. Um, it's the easiest time in the schedule because you got to think about it. The years from October to what? June? October to May for some teams. October, October to April for most teams. Then May, June for the good teams. Then July, you got free agency. You got the combine. You got the draft. Right in the summer, then summer league. After summer league, people tend to trickle down their their work, like their workload. Like you'll see it. Like people, they, they can't write as much in August and September as you do in November. It's just not going to happen. So for me, you know, I travel a lot for work because you know I gotta I gotta give people what they want, right? So I go to all these games, which is great. I love it. I've never traded for anything, but it does add up, and it's important to to find stuff that's not basketball to to keep you not sane, but to like remind you that this is not your entire life, right? Because you guys all have jobs. You 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 aren't defined by your job, right? Like you you have personal lives, thing that you do in your spare time. Um, so it's important to do those things as often as possible, so you don't get drowned in work, so you don't get so you don't feel like you're depressed or so you don't feel like down or overwhelmed. It's important to have a healthy balance. To me, I'm going to have a balance. I don't care how much work I have to do. I'm going to find a way to, to have a balance because it's important. So um, the job is tough, but you know these players are very complex people. And the NBA is a very complex business, and it's our job to, to try to dumb that down or to kind of bridge that gap for y'all. So... That's how I would explain it for myself. Yeah, and apathetic. We'll get to your question in a second. But, but you but you know, Far West just asked us a question about ourselves, and we're all narcissistic people, so we're gonna <laughs> take the opportunity to talk about it. Um so it, it hit me, sorry, and one sorry to cut you off, Sam. And one thing that Ali Khan brought up about maintaining relationships and politicking, that uh reminded me of another thing that I really wanted to ask all of you guys is uh, in terms of maintaining a good relationship with the Rockets front office in particular and other front offices also, uh, do you ever feel like um, your 
uh, desire to maintain that good relationship ever impacts the questions you ask in a press conference. For example, do you ever uh, allow something that you might normally want to drill deeper on to get more information about to just sort of go away because you recognize that, oh, this is the uh, stance that the front office wants to take? Uh, you, you know, are, are you willing to uh, carry water for them to, to, to basically let their stance get out into, the, to use you as a, a media mouthpiece? piece um, to allow their own uh, propaganda, if you will, for lack of a better word, to be released into the... Do, do you understand the question I'm asking here? Do you ever feel yeah, like yeah. I have never been and will never be a water carrier or a, a media pawn or, you know, something like, trust me, these guys know. I've, I've gone through enough with those guys to know that, you know... Yeah, Ke seen, Kelly don't do that stuff, man. I don't do that stuff, so... Um, I've seen people that do do it, but I do understand why people do it. Like, sometimes it's just easier. Like, it's it's, it's stress-free, right? Um, if you can get in good with certain folks, you know, it's a scratch my back and scratch yours type of thing, right? Now, for the, some of us that like to, you know, test the waters, fight the fire, you know, sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be Which bad. I would say all four of us, like, if you pay attention to a press conference – um, especially my homie here, Adam Spillane, and like, 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 I'll be very honest with you. I'll be very honest with you, Drew. The four that are on this stage, like us four, we we ask good questions. We ask good questions. We ask questions that get to the point and are trying to figure out an answer. We don't dally around. We don't try to get a, you know, a like a like the way you describe like a prop. We we don't do that. We actually try to understand basketball. Um, and what's the pro what's going on, on the court? If there's something happening on the, off the court, what's going on off the court? That that the whole Harden thing when when James Harden came out and oh said, "I don't I like whatever the, whatever the statement was." You know who asked that question? It was Adam. I think and, I think and, Tim asked a great question too. Tim McMahon, like he like well, Adam yeah, and he, Tim, yeah, 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 yeah. But what 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 I'm saying what I'm saying is that like just to answer Drew's question, I get what you're asking, but I think I to answer your question, Drew, on behalf of all four of us. We don't do that because I can tell you all four of us don't care about being somebody's water person or spreading propaganda. We're just generally there because we like basketball. We like our jobs and we want to make sure that we're giving a good product in our work. And um, there's a way like, to ask that hard question while still being respectful, right? Like there, exactly. there's a way to do that. Like exactly. you don't have to, you don't have to come off as an right? Like because, you know, we're human. We don't want to come off badly, of course. Like we want, we're worried about how people perceive us, but we, you still got to ask the tough questions. If something's sitting there that needs to be asked, we're going to do it. Like we right. get, like for example, Rafael Stone talks to us, you know, v very infrequently, right? That's the nature of his job. We speak to the coach more than we speak to him. And once when we get him, you, we take advantage of that opportunity because it only happens once every few months. So you, so I think if you're not doing that, you're doing yourself a disservice as well as them because they're they're not gonna. They're not going to respect you if you ask them softballs. Like, sure, they might appreciate it in the moment, but long term, like, you th do you do you think do you think Stephen Silas respects someone who asks him a heart a softball question, like con like year in and year out or game in and game out? Excuse me, I don't think so. I, I think they actually respect <clears throat> us, like getting to the point and asking us, right. like asking them a real question. And, yeah. and for someone like me, you know, the easiest answer is. This team is a lot less more dramatic than the team in 20, what, 19, 20? Just a bit. So, 
So it's easier to, to, to navigate. Like, golly, I remember it used to be endless. Like, the calls I would get, like, it was just. But you understand why, because they're also a business, you know. You, you don't want certain things. You don't want certain patrols. You don't want certain images to be seen. So when that does happen, there's conflict. Now, I will say this. Sorry. Uh, it, when, when Russ was there, like, I, I, whenever there was a hard question to ask Russ, I knew Tim was going to ask it. I almost, that was the one time I, I might have reframed, right? Because Tim was, like, very confrontational and, like, willing to, ask, willing to go there. And, it's like, if it's going to be asked... <laughs> I don't need. I don't need to be the guy that asks it. Now, if it doesn't get asked, I'll, I'll do it, right? Like I'll, I'll bite the bullet. But like, if someone there is going to ask a tough question that that needs to be asked, you know, it doesn't. You know, we're not there for the glory. We just want the question answered. Or you can be like me and get and get your sidles in frequently. So. Yeah, it, Kelly's right about the sidles. That's Drew. That's a good, another good way that you know, if there is a tough conversation that needs to be had, like to do it. Like, there's been there's like after. Playoff losses. The Rockets had a lot, their fair share of tough playoff losses during the Harden era. You, you, you know that that sometimes was the best time to ask those tough questions when it's away from the camera and it's just you and the player, you and the coach talking. So that's another way to kind of make sure that you're still doing that uh, versus not, you know, doing not doing it in a place where they may not feel as comfortable or they may not be as honest talking in front of the camera. And I'll just say really quick, because and we'll get to apathetic. Um, I, I go my, – my approach is I go into every game, every press conference, every scrum wanting to learn something. So I, I, I'm, I'm there whether it's Steven Silas or Dusty Baker, Rafael Stone, James Click, you know, player, whoever. I'm always trying to learn because those people are smarter at basketball or baseball or football or whatever sport than I am. So I go into everything just wanting to learn. And so that's kind of the way that I tend to approach things. And, you know, I'll sometimes be deferential to the manager, to the head coach, to the general manager, uh, just because they know more about their team. They know more about what's going on than I do. But you always are somewhat skeptical of everything that 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 you're told. I mean, that's just kind of how the job is. Yeah, we're the watchdog, I guess. I mean, like, and we've been fortunate to have great coaches, right? Like, like Mike D'Antoni was amazing to interview. Right, yeah. The goat, man. Steven Silas, same. It's it almost it's almost like MDA point two point right? Like they 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 do this. They are very open and on and candid about you know answering questions. The only thing that Silas doesn't do that Mike was willing to do was like give out lineups before games, right? Like Silas yeah. is like really secretive about that. And like, did not want to. Get, he was like, he thought it was a competitive disadvantage to give those out half an hour. Before Mike we never out cared. Anyways. Mike, yeah, Mike never was cared. like, yeah, Mike understood. Well, like, well, it's a I it's a half an hour advantage. Even on the road, if you catch him on the road, he, he's a bit more lenient. Candid, like, yeah, okay. Chill. Yeah. All right, let's take this uh, apathetic. Go ahead. I appreciate appreciate y'all for uh, having me on. Um, yeah, my my question is kind of goes back to what Drew asked um, about regarding Tate, and you guys were speaking on it. One thing I noticed with Tate when he's screening for Jalen or Kevin Porter, one of the guards, it really doesn't have any effect on the defense because they don't respect him as a roller or a shooter. So I'm kind of hard pressed to see a path where him and Shangun could really share the floor realistically. One of the reasons I was higher on KJ because at least his he provides a lob threat in some sense. So when he rolls, they have to kind of play their pick and roll defensive principles. With Tate, they just ignore that, and it's like the spacing is just so trash um, with with Tate screens. So I, I just 
you know, with the five out offense, you can always um, have that. It's almost, you know, misnomer that people think that you need five shooters. And I think Shangun, one of his most underrated aspects of his game is his screening ability. I mean, he is a great screener. So I, I'm just curious to see if you guys noticed that between Shangun and Wood, if if you th- think there's any correlation between um, the, you know, obviously Wood not being there and how they kind of uh, – sat him down towards the end of the season and Jalen and KPJ's explosion, maybe it was just due to usage, but I, I kind of believe that also the fact that if you watch Wood play when he screens, he screened to get the ball back. And with Shangun, he was almost selfless with his screening, which kind of allowed the guards to really explore their game. So I wonder if you guys really saw any of that correlation with how well Jalen and KPJ played and the fact that Shangun uh, was their center for the most part down the stretch. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll start off. And by the way, I, I want to say that if you guys don't check out his videos on YouTube, you got to make sure you check him out, man. He does a great job with his film work. And I just want to give him a shout out um, for that. So make sure you guys follow him. I just, he does some great work anyways. So to the question, I, I, I do think that LP does play a role in kind of the facilitation of it. If you go back and watch, and I know you've highlighted this in your work, um, but he's not he doesn't stop he's going into the next play he's going to the next movement he's putting himself in a situation to do something i think that's what's important for a center especially if you're a non-shooter you have to always be in position to do something it's not about just screening and rolling if you're screening and then the player gets a a switch matchup that they like and it's a preferable switch you don't just go stand and let and then if if the defender is like helping off of you, just sit there. No, you kind of move along the perimeter. You you take a step or two to the left or a step or two to the right. You go to the flare screen. You do things that force the defense to pay attention. You do things that kind of you know get the ball moving from side to side. And that's the thing that Alp does so well that you didn't see from any other big. I think in the Rockets team or in uh, on the Rockets roster last season that. He's always moving. He's always pointing. He's always doing things. Basically, like a quarterback does on offense. Uh, and we talk about how Draymond kind of points things around defense for the Warriors. That was very much Alp on offense for the Rockets. He was always trying to get people in position or putting himself in position. So f- for for that reason, I think that was a big re- big part of why Jalen and KPJ were successful because you saw somebody who was willing to do things like Alp was. Yeah, and I want to use that as a kind of a jumping off point to talk about the sophomore seasons of these guys, right? Because Shangun uh, is one of the guys where it's like, I think this is the year he becomes a household name for NBA fans. I really do. I've said it before. I think he really ingrains himself in the NBA like lexicon. Like I think people just start knowing who he is this year. I think he puts up giant numbers. I think he like really makes a statement this year in a way that you know he couldn't last year just because of his role. And because he's a starter this year, because the Rockets are going to surround him with better floor spacing, I think he's going to really flourish. I mean, you look at his per 36-minute stats. I mean, he's already going to flourish just by playing more minutes alone. I think he's also going to take a step up just just because he's, you know, being a second-year player, you just improve. And you watch what he was doing in Euro basketball. I mean, the guy was so confident. He was taking one-legged fadeaway jumpers, right? Like, the guy looked amazing. And you just know... Going into this season, he knows he's the starter. You're the guy. You're the guy that that the Rockets picked, right? Trisha Wood's gone. They picked you over him. And so the the Rockets can effectively like run some like hub offense stuff with him, like mid mid post, low post, whatever the hell, and have him just facilitate, do his own work. 
and I can't, I'm so excited to watch him next year. I think he's going to post huge numbers. Like I, it would not be out of the realm of possibility for me for him to average like 18, 10, and like four and a half assists. Like that's how good I think he's going to be. And he has a great, fantastic, he has a fantastic steal and block ratio as well. Frank, did you want to say something before I chime in? Me? No, go ahead. Uh, I was like, Frank, Frank is unmuted. I wanted to make sure that he doesn't have anything. Who's Frank? I'm sorry. Oh, apathetic. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, um, we can just. Did you guys want to respond to like what I thought about Shangun there? Adam, am I being crazy? Am I being crazy in saying that he becomes a household name this year? I mean, I, I think that you're going to see him be, I don't know, household, but I, I do think that you're going to see him uh, certainly generate a lot of buzz just because you're going to see a lot of highlights from him. So I think that's going to, I think that he will be uh, more of a household name just, you know, among in NBA circles for that reason. Uh, 18 and 10, that's a that's a really big jump. I mean, you're talking about essentially doubling his points per game last year. Um, and uh, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, that's doubling his, his points per game and rebounds per game. And I, think he can I, do don't, it. I, I don't know if he's going to get the minutes though. I mean, he was at 20.7 minutes last season. Like, is he going to get to 30 this year? I don't know. I don't know if he'll get to 30, but I do think that you'll see an increase in the minutes. I think you'll see an increase in the numbers, but I don't know if it's going to be to the magnitude that you're talking about with 18 and 10. Yeah, if he doesn't like, like I think he's done yeah, well. He's done one enough more thing to on Shingu and just point. in terms of the sophomore season, um, I, I, I think we can't discount enough how important it's going to be for him to be able to get into conditioning. Um, the fact that he's been playing in Euroleague, the fact that he's playing against some good competition, he's been playing against Jokic. He's played in different types of defenses and different schemes they've ran. I've seen him in drop a lot. I've seen him hedge. I've seen him do a lot of different things. That's going to help him a lot. And the, not, not just that, but the conditioning of the fact that he's playing a lot of minutes, heavy minutes. There was a stretch where he played 15 straight minutes in a game. I mean, I don't think I saw him do that at all last season. And the fact that he's doing that and he's added more upper body weight, um, I just I, I think it's going to really propel him to have a, st- a good season. Now, do I think he's going to have a standout season like someone is talking about i don't know but i do think he's going to establish himself as a good starting center for this team and his playmaking will really be on display like i said the rockets really are working on designing some things offensively for him to be more involved and take advantage of the things he does well like in dribble handoffs um being able to slip we've seen a lot more of those roles um with him on the turkish national team so they're doing a lot of things to propel him to be in good possessions, positions to be successful. And so I, I think he's going to have a good sophomore season. I'm really, I, I really do think that everybody's talking about Jalen and the, the step Jalen's going to take. But I agree with someone. We have to also consider the fact that just based off of the roster construction and how they want to play and the hint Steven Salas has dropped about how he wants the offense to look, Shangun can have a very big season. Yeah, there, yeah and the one thing that would deter me from my – sorry, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I'm just saying there's no roadblocks for him in the rotation. So, you know, like last year he went into the season basically as the third center. This year he comes into the season as the number one center. So, you know, he's he's going to get the first opportunity. It's just, you know, is is that, you know, like I said, I think 18 and 10 is probably asking for a little too much. But there is certainly going to be a leap in production from him just just with opportunity. Yeah, I mean, a, a uh, big part of this so I'm on, is I'm just generally high. I'm going to dip. Yeah, yeah, but that's fine. Thanks for Don't thanks for having it. me on. 
Adam, Spo. I'll see you soon. All right, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, a big part of this is just my optimism on the Rockets more generally this year. I think, like, you know, I, I have a bet going on with you, Adam. I think they're going to get to 30 wins. I really do. I think they're, I think they're going to be a lot better in a lot of key areas. Defense, floor spacing, organization. And I think a lot of that has to do with Shingun. And I think when I one thing that might deter me from you know going all this in on Shingun is the fouling, right? Like, can he play enough minutes? Right? You talked about him. You're not sure if he's going to play 30 minutes a game. I think the only thing that would be justifiable in him not getting to that is if he gets in foul trouble constantly, right? That's the one thing holding him back because he has he is at a size disadvantage almost every night. He's six nine. He plays a center position. Most guys are six ten to seven foot. He, you know, he he's forced to be more physical with these guys. And a lot of times that manifests in overfouling. And if that if that prevents him from playing 30 minutes a game, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't have the season I think he's gonna have. But I, I really do think if he gets the minutes and if he's used properly, right, which which are two big ifs, and I understand they're two big ifs. I'm just I guess I'm just putting more faith into it being obvious that he needs more minutes and it being obvious that he needs to be used a certain way. If 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 those things happen, I really do think he's primed for a big year. But that's yeah, just me. I understand the skepticism. Yeah, the, the, the fouling is a big thing. And it's, you know, it's just some of the dumb fouls, too. Just kind of, you know, reaching away from the basket. That's, you know, some of the stuff that he's got to to really guard against. Um, I, I do think, I, I think 30 minutes might be asking a bit much. I mean, that's, you know, that's 10 minutes a game. That's a, that's a big leap uh, for a guy. And, you know, the one thing I'll go back to, and Ali Khan brought up conditioning, and it's not that he's in bad shape or anything like that, but he's just really young. And so I remember Clint Capella's second year in the league. I mean, he was averaging, I think he averaged 23.6 minutes a game. And he was playing at a really high level that year. And, you know, I was kind of curious, well, why isn't he playing more than 23.6 minutes? And so I asked Antonio about it. And Clint Capella was, you know, what, 20 years old in really, really good shape. And, you know, he said, I, I would like to play him more. But he's, you know, he's gasping for air, you know, after six minutes. So I got to get him out of there. So I think that's when, when you're talking about, you know, conditioning. A lot of this is just these guys are young and, and your body is still developing and your lung capacity is still developing at that age. So that's why I think, you know, 30 minutes might be a little bit of a leap for him in year two. But I, I certainly think that he's going to play more. He's going to be more productive and he's going to get more of an opportunity than he did last year. So I certainly think the leap is there. I just, I think 18 and 10 and 30 minutes is probably a step too far for his second year in the league. And I also think that, you know, you look at, he, he's basically only going to play one position. He's going to play center and that's about it. I do think that they want to make sure that they get a look of Jabari Smith uh, playing the five uh, at some point each night. I think that they want to make sure they get Usman Garuba some minutes each night. So there is a little bit of a log jam in that spot when you consider that they want to get multiple guys some minutes out there but he will certainly have first dibs as opposed to last year where he was second or third in line yeah and i, I will say that i'm not sure if you remember there's there was a game uh and you got you, you and i were out this game where alperin shangun was playing really well and it was against the milwaukee bucks yep and it was he was effectively keeping houston in the game and it, it was getting you know it was getting down to crunch time and the rockets had to make a decision as to whether or not to keep him in the game they left him and out. I think I think you know they didn't. They, no, they, well, they, yeah, no, there was there was one. There were a couple where they left him in uh, because I, I just remember it because I wrote about this uh, because basically Milwaukee's defense he 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 forced Milwaukee to change their defense where um, well, he was the, killing the first, them. I'm not sure what game you're talking about. The first game, I'm uh, the, the first time they played each other, 
He did not well, stay in the game. The Milwaukee game at home. It was the yeah, Milwaukee the, game the, at the Toyota Center we where to. yeah, yeah, he, so he, got benched. he had to. Well, so Milwaukee started putting Giannis on him. That's how, I mean, he was absolutely torching them. So Milwaukee adjusted. They put Giannis on him, and that kind of, he kind of wore down uh, at that point. But there was another game. uh, But here's the thing I don't think he did. Like, I think, I just just genuinely think Silas lost faith in him at this drop of a hat. It was very strange to me. Like, he was playing well enough to justify staying on the floor. Yeah, but he didn't, he, he played like two possessions against Giannis. I think once Giannis started guarding, I mean, Giannis was the guy on him. Like, he decided, okay, I, I don't even want to test this out. I don't even want to see minutes. And, like, that quick plug, I don't think that's, that's you know, another thing that might prevent him from playing the minutes he deserves. And I, that's why I, I want, I'm using this as a segue because I want to talk about Stephen Salas two years into this rebuild because, um, you know, he got the job in 2020, right? He's had two years to coach the team. Uh, you know, oh, the first of. year, the first, okay, come on. He, he had, he's had 80, he's had 164 games, right? He's had four, two seasons. There's no debating. He had, he didn't have two seasons. So he, he gets the job. Obviously that first year is pretty combustible with Harden, but halfway through, um, he pretty much knows who his guys are going to be, right? Like he, obviously they had, they dealt with the injuries with Oladipo and John Wall, but he pretty Dumb. much knew what, what his roster was. He was watching and... YouTube highlights on these guys before games to see who he was playing. He's playing like Cam Sullivan and Cam Reynolds towards the end of the year. I don't even know if he can name all the guys he had to play. They played like 42 guys in one season. But Adam, do you think he did a good coaching job? Like, like I don't that, think that's, he, I, that, I have... that's kind of my question for more broadly, not only last that season, but then last season he has another 20-game losing streak where it's like, okay, like at some point we can't just say, oh, he didn't sign up for this. He didn't, like this is not this is not the, the team he came to coach. He came to coach James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Christian. Wood. How many how many crutches? How many times do we lean on that crutch? Like, oh, he's like I started this the 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 first part of my statement, but by just saying he played two, he coached two seasons and you disputed that as if that's not objectively true. Well, like, cause I don't, I don't count the first season. I'm sorry. I just, you, I, you, I don't you, count what, the What do you mean season. you don't count? They, they, they go on his record. They just well, do. Yes, I, I understand they go on his record, but he was handed one team at, in training camp. And then by like, you're, you're telling me he, he thought that James Harden was going to be there. You, you're telling me he thought that situation was all clear. Cause we had, enough rumblings back then to know that he was stepping into a combustible situation no there were there were no they, jeff van gundy he, he retracted not, from the he job did, he did not know daryl morey stepped down the day he got the job adam like the no, day he Darryl, got the Darryl job daryl morey stepped, stepped down morey stepped he down, stepped down the, yeah the day he got the job literally you got you you have the timeline wrong i um, have the timeline correct no you don't morey yes, Rafa, because rafael's Rafael, the one who hired silas Right, yeah, like literally a few hours before Rafael got the job. Yeah, but it, it was known. Like Maury didn't just walk into Tillman's office and say, "Hey, man, I'm out." I mean, yeah, that, so it the was, combustibility it was, it was known. Was it was known, known privately. Yeah, so the combustibility was known. He, he didn't just like walk into a situation blind. He knew there was some there was potential. Okay, but like fraying with the foundation. Like this, I I just hate keep on like, just just continuing to give this guy crutches. Like at some point, I have to look at the ba- what's going on on the basketball court. And not, not, I'm not just talking wins and losses. I'm not a caveman. I'm looking at lineups, like decision making. He's doing on a game to game basis, and some a lot of it just does, doesn't make sense to me. And like, let me just start with the first year. Uh, the first year, you cannot count the first year. 
What do you the mean you can't year, count the first year? You can't dismiss an entire season just because you don't like the parameters of it. Like that's that do, that doesn't like make any sense. He coached. Nobody else was coaching. Nobody else was doing the job for him. It was an NBA can, coach. Can I ask you a question? Who right, was go ahead. who was winning who was winning with that roster though? Like I'm not saying was, he has to go gangbusters, but 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 Adam, he had the worst record in basketball. There, you're telling me like like there was he did a good coaching job? I'm, I, like, I'm not saying he did a good coaching job. I'm saying he didn't have a chance to do a good coaching job. Because but you're telling me I should dismiss situation. that. You're, sure, yes. you're telling me I should dismiss dismiss yes. the fact that he did. Like, he had, okay, he had he had absolute. They had no chance to win games that year. By by post All Star break, once Gordon got hurt and Tucker was sent home and Wall got hurt and Oladipo was traded. Look at look at who's on the roster at that point. I mean, we're going into pregame press conferences just asking who's going to play. Do you have Stephen? Do you have eight guys available? Uh, sort of, you know. And he's throwing out. I mean, he's throwing out just some of DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson is having to play thirty minutes a night sometimes. I mean, it was it changed day after day after day. So, do I think that he did a good job that first year? No, but I don't think that he had a chance to do a good job that first okay, year. Well, okay, really, well, wait, fine, let me, fine, let me fine. Let's dismiss. The, 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 no, 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 I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Well, let's dismiss the first season. Well, what no, about last I, year? I do want to say he goes. He goes when, into at, next wait, year. Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Because post Harden trade. When they were trying to sort of win and they had a full roster and everybody was healthy, they had some success. And they had that winning streak. And at one point, they were 11-10 and 10 right before the losing streak. And that's when you think, okay, this guy really has it. At that point, it all fell apart. So I, I, I can't judge anything that happened in that first COVID season because I don't think that anybody could have had any sort of success with the group that he had. Okay, we'll agree or disagree. But I'll just give it to you for the sake of the argument for right now. Let's, let's just miss that first season. Fine. He just, he didn't coach. He coached one year in the NBA, not two. Even though the record books will say two, he coached one. Let's look at that one season. He goes into that season, and he decides his big decision is to start Daniel Tice next to Christian Wood in an NBA lineup. Like, and we all knew that didn't make any sense to start. Like, like this is, yeah, Steve, Christian Wood needs defenders next to him, but he needs defenders that can space the floor as well. He's a sender. Like everybody knew that Christian Wood was a center. This idea that he wasn't a center was only being disputed by the Rockets themselves. And like the, I, I don't know, I don't understand the rationale behind that decision. They start off the season poorly, and their adjustment took so much time. And then Shangoon, there there are games where he's going off and he gets he gets this early, he gets these early pulls. And it took him forever to even try lineups with Shangoon and Wood, even though. Yeah, that's a bad lineup. But if that's a bad lineup, the front office has to amend that for you and trade wood. Like, because then uh, at what point do you have enough data to decide this isn't going to work? Because I thought they were straddling the line far, far too much on that on that, in that front court in terms of like, is Christian Wood our guy long term, long term, or is he not? Because if he is, the, and if Shangun's our guy long term, you got to see these, you got to play these guys together. And he, you know, there were stretches, like two or three game stretches where it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's see how this looks. Like, let's give these guys 35 minutes together. And then we wouldn't see it for like 20 games. And it's like, I, I know I, I know that lineup isn't going to work, but I, I think it needs more minutes than, than, than 35, like per every 13 games. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was strange. A lot of the decision making he made, he did last year was strange. And like the organization of that offense like that offense was so helter skelter, it just felt like the ball was rolling out there. Like there was no function whatsoever. Like it, it just felt like 
not like nothing the Rockets were doing was sticking offensively. Now defensively, I thought like some again, a lot of this is like they were just throwing out lineups that made absolutely no sense. And at some point, I have to grade him on that one season that he did coach in the NBA. And and, and my my grade is like I don't think he did a very good very good job. Well, I mean, he won twenty games, so I can't disagree with that. But if your if your GM signs a guy to a big contract. I mean, what they gave Daniel Tice, they gave Daniel Tice a big contract and they gave Daniel Tice a big contract to play. So, I mean, that was the rationale for that. I mean, that, that, the Tice thing you have to take up with Rafael Stone. I mean, that's, that's but, on Rafael. No, Tice, Tice was like, Rafael signed Tice. He didn't yeah, so start that's Tice. He so didn't I mean, start Tice. I mean, nobody, nobody put a gun to the size of his head and told him, okay, you got to start him. He did. They see there's certainly pressure to play minutes for sure. Absolutely. I mean, he was at that at that point. Yeah, I didn't say you because you can't play, but you don't play him next to Christian Wood to start games. That's the wrong approach to take. Objectively, you 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 play him as the guy to to come off the bench immediately, right? And and give Christian Wood his spells. And I thought well, this idea Shane of him. Playing. Well, then Shane's not playing then, at all under that. Scenario. Well, if, no, if, Shang- like, well, if Shangun doesn't play, then Shangun doesn't play. But like they were straddling the line in so many different areas. Like at, at some point, you got to pick a direction. And I don't. I, I think I, my frustration with the Rockets last season is they never managed to pick a direction and stick to it. And like I, I just don't have respect for that. Like it's like if you, if your philosophy is like I'm going to play veterans or I'm going to play these guys that I trust. Okay, then do that. Well, if your philosophy is like I'm going to, I'm going to give these young guys a chance. Then, like, then do that. Like, you can't do both at the same time. I just don't think it works, especially when you look at what the Rockets had from a roster perspective last season. Again, the roster was very like put together seemingly last minute, and I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think I look at what what Silas did last year, and I don't think it bodes a lot of confidence for me long term. Now, again, he has one more year right on his contract before the Rockets have to make a team option, team decision on him. My my thinking here is I'm going to give him that entire full year before I make a decision. I'm not going to pick it up midway through the season unless the Rockets are doing phenomenal. And I, I, I'm not saying the Rockets have to go out and like make a really tough decision. Like, I don't think, I don't think that's pressing right now, but I think if he goes out the next season and has the worst record in basketball for a third consecutive season, how do you not say that he's doing an objectively poor job? Well, no, if, if they have the worst record in the NBA next season, then yeah, that's going to be it. But uh, to be honest with you, I would pick up his option right now just to get rid of the distraction. And if it costs me some money in the end, then so be it. The owner's a billionaire. He's going to be all right. So if I'm them, I'm picking up the option. And if they have to eat the money, they have to eat the money. Um, I, I don't know if Steven Silas is a good NBA head coach. I have said this many times. I, I, I don't know that he is because he hasn't won any games, but I don't think that he's been given exactly a great opportunity here. And so, yeah, they were, they were really bad last year and, and he probably did not, he made some suboptimal decisions, but look at what he was dealt. He was not dealt a great hand. He was dealt a very, very young backcourt. He was dealt a team that had never played together before. And it's, it's hard to be a functional team under those circumstances. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, you're not wrong by what in your evaluation of him. 
But at the same time, I don't know what you were expecting. Like, were you expecting them to win 35 games? Were you expecting them to to challenge for a playing spot? I mean, last year was basically an experimentation year. They were experimenting with what they had. They had this really young group, and the group's going to be young again this year, but at least they have something to build on with last year. So, I mean, if they if there isn't some sign of improvement, then yeah, then that's going to be it for Silas. But I'm not going to say that, no, he can't do it, or no, he's got no shot just off of the last two years, because I think that he was an, put in an impossible uh, position the last two years. I don't think that anybody could have won under those circumstances. I'm not saying uh, I'm giving up on him. I never said that. I said, objectively so far, I think he's done a poor job. And I I, I, I don't know how you come away from that and, say, and think differently. Like, yeah, he was dealt a poor hand. Every rebuilding team is. Let me tell you, let me ask you a question. Was Chris Finch dealt a great hand last year? Well, With Chris the Minnesota Finch, Timberwolves? Chris Finch was given an all-star in Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, who, who was, who was the all-star that Steven Silas had last year? Okay. What, what about the Pelicans? Were they dealt a great hand? Like, they, mean, like there, there, there are a bunch of teams that were dealt bad hands yes, last year. Yes. And they did the, better the than Pelic- what the Rockets yes, Will, did. Willie, Willie Green was, was given a better hand than Steven Silas. Yes, absolutely. Willie I didn't Green, say, it, I didn't ask you if, if he was dealt a better hand. I said, was he dealt a good hand? Was he dealt a good hand? Yes, he was. <laughs> How? In what way? In, co- in comparison, in comparison, the Rockets it's not like he did much better. Maybe he better, had, but not much had, better. He, he had, had Zion. Brandon, he had Brandon Ingram. He had Valanciunas, who was an All Star. I mean they they had a they had a functional roster on that team. Their number one pick was benched. They had they a literally functional roster did not before. Play. They did had not a functional play. roster though before. I understand, but they had a functional roster before that. Stephen Silas was handed. Uh, a a 21 year old point guard who was learning how to play point guard for the first time, a 19 year old shooting guard who was coming into the league, and uh, he he needed some time to grow in, into that spot. So, uh, again, last year was ugly. I'm not going to deny that. Last year was really bad. But to me, the way that I evaluate Stephen Silas is, did Jalen Green get better as the year went on last year? That's it. I'm asking. That's. I'm I mean, asking. he's. Did, yeah, of course. But, okay. that, but Al, is, is that on Silas? Did, is that did on Silas? It's got to be on somebody. It's got to be on the player. Obviously, like the player the, gets some he, credit. He, but Silas' ability, but uh, I mean, in one year with the team, just about the player. It's about putting them in the right positions. And every single one of their young guys has gotten better since they've arrived with the Rockets. Nobody has taken a step back. I mean, you even go, Jay Sean Tate has gotten better since he arrived with the Rockets. Alperin Chingun has gotten better since he arrived with the Rockets. Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., all these guys have gotten better since they arrived with, with the Rockets. So is it translating to wins yet? No, it's going to have to at some point. But, you know, you don't just evaluate the head coach on wins and losses. So it, it, the, the first two years have not been good. And if the and if this next season goes like the first two years, Steven Silas will not be the head coach this time next year. But it's impossible to evaluate what he has done so far because it's just been he's just been put into a situation. And they would tell you the same thing. I'm telling Rafael Stone would tell you the same thing that they didn't they didn't really give him much of a chance the last two years. Mark Digno, Oklahoma City Thunder. They have Shea Gilgis Alexander. They had Shea Gilgis Alexander that was benched halfway through the season because they wanted to tank. The organization wanted to tank. How so many his, more, legs, his legs got pulled out from under him midway through the season. How many more games did they win than the Rockets the last two years? They did. They looked like an organized team. I'm because not, they had a point you, guard. You, you, you keep asking. You keep talking a point like about wins and losses as if like that's my that's my like 
what I'm leaning on. And I'm not doing that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like the Rockets looked so disorganized offensively and defensively in a way that I didn't see any of these rebuilding teams look like. Like they, the Rockets did not seem like they were like, it, it just it just felt like they were rolling the basketball out of time. So we, we should go to listeners at some point. Well, didn't, oh, just uh, real quick, Oklahoma City lost the game by like 80 points. So, I mean, they kind of rolled the ball out that day. But I, I get what you're saying. All right, let's go to, hang on, let me pull it up. Sorry. Uh, Casey, you are going to be up uh, just as soon as it connects. Takes forever to connect. I don't understand this. All right, Casey, I think, you're up. I think he's good to go. Yeah. Yo, what's what's up, everybody? Hey, man. Um, I, I just re- I just wanted to say, um, it, this whole Silas thing is just uh, to me, it's just kind of unfair with the cards that he's been dealt coming into the situation, everything like that. Um, Salman, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I also want to say, yo, shout out to Adam. You do a great job over there at six ten and everything that you do. So shout out to you. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm just shout out to Adam. What was that? Shout out to Adam. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm just, I'm just really excited for for this year. Um, having Jabari Smith on this team, having a clear direction of where the team's going, getting rid of John Wall, starting fresh. Um, I think this is a make or break year for Silas, obviously. But um, it's gonna be a, it's, it's. I mean, it's. You could also say that about KPJ as well. It's a make or break season for him. Um, but I'm just super excited, man. Um, Jalen Green, when I watched that kid play basketball, um, watching him in his rookie year, it, it just really reminds me of like you know, like a young AI coming into the league, a young Kobe coming into the league that just kind of takes it by storm. Um, Jalen Green is one of the most exciting players in the NBA, in my opinion. Just every every time I watch oh, that guy really, he's, play, he's really fun. Yeah, he's he's at, he's really really fun, and his stretch after February. I have his numbers pulled up here. Since the All-Star break, Green was averaging like 23 points per game, like four rebounds per game, and he was like shooting 60% true shooting. And his last two games of the season were absolutely ridiculous. Like he, the, the, the way he ended the, se- the year was bonkers. Like to end a season like that is like making the biggest statement you can possibly make. And he improved from like every level of the floor. I, I 100% agree. He's really fun. I yeah. like him a lot. Like, I, I, I really think we're heading in the right direction. Um, 30, 30 wins is maybe maybe just a little bit too much for me. But, I mean, like, you never know, man. I'll, I'll pee. That, that kid is special, dude. Like, this, some of the things that Alfred Shangoon does, you, in my opinion, you just really can't teach. Like the way that he can pass the ball, the way he can find the open guy, it's just it's really special, man. Like, and, and we've done a really great job drafting over over the past couple years. Um, and Jay Sean Tate, man, I mean that that guy, that guy's motor just kind of like he, he's, he's. I think he's a really important part of the team. I know everyone wants to get on him about his shooting and stuff, but he does a lot of other things on the floor that you know things that are super important like, he, he just hustles oh, yeah. his ass off dude i mean like that guy yeah. that guy just hustles and, and that's that's a guy you want to you want to have on your team he's just good he's just a good basketball player and again the contract is ridiculous because of like how well he was defending especially that first season like he was one of the best defenders in basketball that first season and like the rockets got him for an absolute bargain basement of a deal and like they, they, it's going to look even better again like when when the next cba kicks in we're gonna be laughing at that next at that Jay Shante contract because of how 
like underpaid he's going to be at that point. I feel bad for him, but the Rockets got to be happy with what they got there. I want to I want to bring up something too about Jalen Green. I've been meaning to say this um, earlier. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run more of the offense. And mm. I, I do think that you saw this with Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, towards the end of last year, where, I mean, really all year, where just the catch-and-shoot numbers were so good. He can play off the ball a whole lot more than he was. And so I really think that you're going to see, and just all the things that you've heard about Jalen Green, the handle's better, he's stronger. So it seems like that he can probably take on more of that initiator role than he could last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's bringing the ball up a whole lot more and initiating the offense a whole lot more this year than he was last year. So I just wanted to get that in there real quick. I'm going to read you guys uh, two stats, and I want you guys to guess the players. So Casey and Adam here. Uh, Okay, this first player. 13.9 13.9 points per game, 53.9% true shooting. The second player, 17 points per game, 54.6% true shooting. All right, guess the players. Say, say the second player's shooting percentage again. 54.6. Is that Jalen Green? Yeah. That second yeah. player is Jalen Green's rookie season. Who's the first player? Yeah. Um, I know who it is. Go ahead. Is that James Harden? It's Bradley Beal. It's Bradley oh. Beal. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Jalen's numbers in comparison to Zach Levine, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal's rookies, he's blowing them all away. Like, absolutely blowing them all away. Like, on an efficiency basis, on a points-per-game basis, he, he's absolutely killing them. And Kid a part is of this, special, dude. Yeah, and part of this is, you know, he had obviously a lot more opportunity than some of these guys, but, like, part of this is just, like, legitimate talent. Like, the guy is legitimately one of the best ball handlers in the NBA as, as a young player. Like, he, like he, his, his handle, especially when you're talking about, like, in trying, in trying to get places, right? Functional handle. Not just, like, bringing the ball up the floor or ball security or stuff like that. It's, it's like, actually, like, moving from one spot to the other, he is great as a ball handler. And, like, his shiftiness has enabled him to do so much his rookie year. And I'm really curious to see... Uh, how he improves in those other areas that I was talking about, bringing the ball up the court, that security element. And, you know, obviously how he builds out his body. The Rockets have been talking all all about all summer about how he's been working on his, his body. And I, I want to see how he looks. I want to see how much stronger he's gotten. Because I, I, I do think, I mean, the guy's a crazy athlete. He should be rebounding more than this. So if he can get to like five rebounds per game, I mean, that's a big jump for him. Yeah, I agree. And uh, one, one more thing, uh, uh, two more things actually. Um, I think KPJ and Jalen Green could be one of the best backcourts if they if they if they can figure this out long term. I think KPJ and Jalen Green could be one of the most explosive backcourts that we've ever seen in in the Rockets history. Um, I, I mean, like just like watching KPJ the way he can score and the way that tit, that Jalen Green and KPJ can really go tit for tat. Um, you know, dropping fifty against the Bucks. I mean, like. A lot of, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that can do that. Uh, I mean, th- there is, but I mean, com- for Kevin Porter Jr. being a young kid like like he was, that's that's, I mean, that's just special. The kid, kid, kid can sp- score the basketball. I think he's really going to fit more into this role as a point guard. It's going to be interesting to see the improvements he's made. Um, the biggest thing with him is obviously his behavior <laughs> off off on and off the court. You can't be checking yourself into games. You can't believe in at halftime stuff like that. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to say. It's kind of slipping my mind right now. But um, everyone that's that's in here, uh, Jonathan, shout out to you. You do a great job. 
Far West, Vader, Don, Don, all y'all guys. I know Will was in here earlier. Um, shout out to Rockets Twitter. Um, let's keep the vibes immaculate, bro. Like, at the end of the day, like, we're in one of the most exciting positions in the NBA, in my opinion. We finally, you know, we've got past all the John Wall stuff and, and things like J- James Harden. Like, we finally have a clean slate. We know the direction this team's headed. And especially with a kid like Jalen Green, I mean, like, that kid is just – I mean, I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Jalen Green. That that kid is just, he's just so amazing, dude. Like every every time I watch him play, I got, I got the chance to see him in Houston live, and it's just amazing, dude. The way he can jump, the way he can do everything that he does, it's just really special, man. I, I, I just, I, just, I love watching him play basketball. Jacob too. I mean, that guy can score. He, I, I think he would be a really good six man for us coming off the bench, being able to come off the bench and get points. Um. Man, that's really it, man. I'm just really excited for the season. Jabari Smith, dude. I mean, like that kid is just—he can defend one through five. I mean, it's just—it's just amazing, dude. So I'm really excited. Um, and th- thank y'all for letting me out, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I really do appreciate the input, Casey. Adam, I'm not sure about you, man, but I think I had like an aneurysm when he said, "Yeah, just keep the the, va- the vibes immaculate, bro." Like, I, I I think I I I completely lost track of what he was saying because I, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know. Well, I don't understand the lingo there. What does it vi- keeping the vibes immaculate mean? Does, does that just mean good? Like keep yes. it good? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, 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 vibes are good, I guess, with the Rockets. Vibes are good. Like so, when you look at what the Rockets have done, right? Because he did mention the building out of the team. I think they've done a really good job at dra- the, the NBA draft specifically. And, you know, obviously the James Harden trade was huge. That was a home run that they had to hit. And it, I think it's going to pay off for them long term. But these picks, I mean, especially when you look at like how they're building out the roster in terms of like their methodology, right? Like they're, they're drafting with a purpose, it seems, right? Like Shangoon and Green fit next to each other like a glove, theoretically. If, if Shangoon is running offense for you in the mid post, Green can space the floor, he can cut, he can drive to the basket, he can play off of them at the top of the key, dribble handoffs, all that stuff. They play together easily. The, the, only, the only problem was at that point, you don't have much defense to surround them with. Well, then you bring in Tari Eason, you bring in Jabari Smith Jr., and you bring in Ty Ty Washington, who can all theoretically defend and shoot the basketball. And I really like the way this team just makes sense on paper. Like they, they, I, that's what I really appreciate about Stone. Is even if I disagree with some of the moves, like you know here and there, like when you zoom out and you look at the big picture, they all make sense, right? Like, and, and sometimes that's all that matters. You know, like you may disagree with the move uh, here or there, right? Like let's just say you didn't like the Christian Wood trade. Well, you look at you look at everything else. You look at what the Christian Wood trade ended up becoming. Like they they got Ty Ty Washington, who should have been like a top twenty pick in the draft, and that at that point you trade a Christian Wood for a top twenty pick in the draft and two seconds, right? Like so, when you keep on zooming out on all on Stone's moves, I think you got to be got to be pretty happy about what he's done, especially when you look at where the Rockets were two years ago at the start of this rebuild, right? Russell Westbrook and James Harden both demand trades. They don't have any draft picks. Because they traded them all the the thunder, and you look at where they're at now, right? They refilled their cupboard with draft picks. They have all this young, this great young talent: Jalen Green, Alperen Sengun, Jabari Smith Jr., Kevin Porter Jr., uh, Jay Sean Tate. You know, and, and those last two guys, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, they didn't even use any draft capital or players to acquire. They just bought the pick that became KJ Martin, 
and they they signed Jay Sean Tate outright. So they didn't use any assets to get those guys. So like like when you look at what they've done with the limited assets they started with, it's an incredible job. I mean, like I, I can't think of many front offices that have turned their picture their their big picture outlook around as well as Estonia is. Well, they, they've they've had some lottery luck, and that's been big. Because I mean, if if that coin flips the other direction uh, in twenty twenty one, and no they're kidding. picking eighteenth instead of second, I mean, then then the conversation is completely different. So the lottery Absolutely. luck has been big, and, and so you you have the lottery luck in in twenty one and get green. You have the lottery luck uh, this past June, and, and you get Jabari Smith. I mean, th- those are two what you hope are foundational pieces right there. And, and then they've had so many other first round picks and it's the old branch Ricky saying it's uh, it's uh, quality out of quantity. And so you have so many bites at the apple that you're going to hit on at least a couple of them. And, and so that's kind of the plan right now. And now the key is figuring out who fits moving forward. And I think that's what the challenge of 2022, 2023 is going to be for them. You know, Jabari Smith is a building block. You know, Jalen Green is a building block. You know, you have a ton of cap space moving forward, either in the summer of 2023 or the summer of 2024. So you can plan that way. And then it's about figuring out, okay, this guy fits, this guy fits, this guy fits, that guy fits. That's what the key is really for them uh, moving forward this year. That's so that is the challenge. But yeah, they're, they're sitting in a, they're sitting in a good position and I don't think they're going to win many games this year. I don't think they expect to win many games this year, but that's not necessarily the goal at this point. The goal is to just be better is to show some sort of improvement. Um, what does that improvement look like? That's going to be the question. Once we get into training camp in a couple of weeks and we've already heard them talk about defense. They, they definitely, they don't want to be the worst defensive team in all of basketball next year. They don't want to be last in the league in turnovers next year. I think those are two, those are two themes that you're going to hear them hit a lot about um, once we get into camp. So it's just about improvement. It's about getting better it's about figuring out who fits well with who so it's it is a, it's a fun time if you're a fan of the team just because you have all these young guys um and they're just basically blank sheets of paper at this at this point and who knows what they can turn into they can turn into stars you never know yeah i i think you make a great point about the lottery like a, a lot of this is hingent on it, it, do, it does hinge excuse me on 50 50 odds and that that went their way you know, but they, they've also hit on some pretty big things, right? Like, the, like the James Harden trade. I think you know a lot of not everybody was for that trade. I was. A lot of people in Houston were. A lot of people nationally uh, were skeptical, right? Like, I, I think a lot of people when they looked at that trade, it's like, oh, you're not getting any players back, basically, right? Especially when, especially when you look at that trade now, because you know they, they basically have nothing to show for that trade player wise. But when you look at that trade in the moment, and it's and you look at what they what they got back from a draft pick standpoint, and you zoom out and you look at where the Nets stand. I mean, the Nets are falling apart, and they're they're standing there saying, "We don't even care if you fall apart now or you fall apart later. We know at some point this thing's going to crumble to the ground, and we're going to collect these draft picks." So they've done a good job at playing these situations, and you know, again, you fumble the ball here or there, and as long as you're you're hitting on the big things. And as long as you're zooming out and you're you're getting more wins than losses, that's all that matters. Like, let's be very clear: not all these draft picks are going to hit. Right? There's a very good chance that Usman Gruba is a miss. Now, let's be let's be completely upfront about that. There's a very good chance. But if three out of four picks are hits, it doesn't matter, right? Because that's a that's an extremely good hit rate when you talk about the NBA draft. The NBA draft is so hard, and and when you have multiple picks in a draft like the Rockets have had two years in a row, 
it's really hard to get all of them right. But if you're getting most of them right, that's all that matters. No, and you're going to make mistakes. Mistakes happen. I, I watched the Astros win the World Series in 2017, and they completely blew the first pick of the draft in 2013. So, and so that so that stuff happens. It's just they have you know the big thing with the Harden trade, and this is something that Rafael Stone said is that you know the picks that we get from Brooklyn, we don't we don't want to need them to be good. We want them to just enhance the rest of what we're building, and I think that's what they ultimately are doing. I think that the picks that they have gotten on their own are good enough to really build a good foundation. And we, we talk about what they have right now. I mean, again, they are probably going to finish towards the bottom of the league this next season, which means that they are going to probably add another high lottery pick. So, I mean, you, you know what they have right now and they have the ability to add even more to it. Plus all the cap space moving forward. They're, they are sitting in a, in a really good position right now. That's, that's really all you can say. Adam, you want to do this one thing? Let's take two or three more listener questions. Then we can, we can head out of here. We got none. Yeah, to to this is this is me asking for questions. Oh. I'm sure someone's gonna ask. I'm sure someone's gonna raise their hand at some point. But if if we truly don't get any questions, we can head out of here. I mean, I think we well, okay. There we, we go. One. There we go. We got one. Uh, let's see. This is uh, Jumanji's. Jumanji's. It's a great, great name. Movie. Thank you. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's my initials, and the movie's good. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, I, I you know one thing just before my question comment is just like I'm. So jazzed that basketball is back. I, I am. I, I will watch any sport, but like really, I don't watch the other sports. You know, like um, I think I watched more tennis um, this summer than anything else because the U.S. Open was great. Uh, uh, you know, Texans suck and Astros are great, but boring is just incredibly. Uh, baseball is just incredibly boring. So, man, basketball is just like you know, it's so awesome having come from the '90s where you know you might get like that Saturday game on TV. Um, you, you might get most of your local games. I mean, you can literally watch basketball now 24 seven and we've got the Thompson twins. You can watch games of, it's just like, we got European basketball. You can watch games of, it's just, it's just so great to be able to watch like high quality basketball all the time. But, um, that aside, I guess my, uh, somewhat piggybacking on your comments that, you know, the ball was just rolled out last year. It, it really looked bad, <laughs> um, for, for a while. Like it was clear almost from day one of pre game one of preseason uh certainly by the end of preseason that kpj was not ready to run an nba offense um and certainly not without a lot of structure and by the end uh, you know look i have more faith in him running an nba offense but i still think he's kind of like this combo ish point guard i can create if i need to but i could play small forward if i need to that also creates and that's kind of like what Jalen is a little bit also. And so what I envision, and I, I don't know if Silas can put this together or not, as, as great offense, and I'm curious if you guys think this is the way they should go, is is basically Alpi. And, and and maybe not fully in the in the Jokic, I'm going to literally dribble the ball up the court and run the offense. But <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't think he can do that. But, you know, once KPJ, Jalen, whoever gets the ball up the court and the fast break isn't there, I, I want to see the ball in Alpi's hands at the high post, at the low post, uh, having guys rub off him. Even if it's not in his hand, he should be setting the pick. And so that's kind of how – and, and if they can do that, I, it, it really – look, it may not be the number one – O rating, you know, in the league for a while. They may not have a, a top 10 offense, but – uh, for a team of young guys that's learned, that, that's just going to be fun to watch. And, you know, it was fun watching James Harden be a one-man wrecking crew, 
But you know, at, at the end of the day, like as an objective observer, watching the Warriors is more interesting basketball. Watching the Nuggets with Jokic run basketball is more interesting basketball. So like I'm super excited to see if they can install that kind of high post, low post, uh, more movement kind of runoff pick type offense. It, it will just be fun to watch and, and good basketball. So that's all I want to say. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, first of all, great, great points. I mean, to, to have an offense like the Rockets had with James Harden, you need like that kind of dominant heliocentric kind of player. I don't think that exists on the roster right now. And it's probably going to take a while before they get that kind of guy, if at all. It, they might just be end up being one of those teams that has to run a lot of ball body movement stuff. And uh, I want to be fair to KPJ, by the way, because, you know, you mentioned he, he looked rough, especially to start the season. He was dealing with that thigh contusion all year. Right. And like, I think a lot of people forget, like, Adam, how many times did you and I check the injury report and it said questionable thigh contusion or out thigh contusion? Right. It was all the time. Yeah. That, and, that crept up on him a couple of times, especially early in the year. I mean, he missed 10 games because of it. Right. Right. And it clearly bothered him even when he was playing. And it, it really felt like it took until the end of the season before he got all the way right. And um, I think, you know, having a full off season of, of good health. You know, knock on wood, having a better season of health this year. You know, I, I'm interested just to see how he does. You know, I'm I, again. I'm even though I may bet against KPJ being a starting point guard for a championship team. I'm never ruling it out. I, I'm not at that point. I'm just not. He's 23. I'm not going to do that. Like I'm just, just, I'm just, I'm just not there yet with him. And I want to see more. What I thought he, what I thought he did better as the year went on was. He's the type of guy that, like, the longer he has the ball, I, I think it's worse, right? Like, he's just so the more James Harden esque he is, it, it's he gets into over dribble and he just can't over dribble quite as good as Harden or Luca or, or those guys. He's he's got some, he's got a nice bag, but 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 it, it needs to be faster. And so when it's when it's faster with him, he just like thinks about it less and he he is like legitimately good when he's not thinking about it. You could just tell he was thinking about everything whether hurt or not like for a couple months in, into the year and by the end he maybe they took some responsibilities off his shoulder or maybe he figured it out. He was just like screw this. I, I think he even said something mid-year where he was like, "Yeah, I'm just going to stop thinking about it. I'm just going to play how I play play me and it's kind of I dish anyway." So Anyways, if, if he can continue that, like uh, I, I'm excited for him. I, I, you know, this is somewhat off topic, but like I, I would, I would have given him the four, four and twenty. If people are, have been saying like that's expensive, you know, eighty million for this dude. That's what Kelvin Johnson got. It's like it's it's way less than what R.J. Barrett got. It's kind of in the market. I, I think, I think the worst case scenario is, is he he plays the same, maybe a little better, but somebody really overpays for that because the free agency market next year isn't great. And so, and so then you're paying RJ Barrett money, you know, to, to decide whether to keep him. If, if he plays like amazing, sure. I'll, I'll pay him RJ Barrett money. If he, if he plays horrible, you know, you know what to do. But I think the most likely scenario is he's, he's going to be better uh, statistically, but not, not like super, not so amazing. That's like, Hey, this guy's, this guy's a max guy or RJ Barrett level extension dude. But somebody's probably going going to need that, and and somebody somebody will pay up. So, uh, so I I'm actually I was a guy that like beginning of the last year, the first few months was like, man, what happened? Like, who was this dude? I was super excited about, and just now, like, I don't I don't even know if I want him on my team. To to I'm at a point now where like he turned it around enough and just like started playing his game, and maybe it's like all the summer stuff because he does seem like he's matured and he's putting in the work and. You know, you know, he's great at catching. You know, by the end of the year, like man, he did do a lot of things well. 
So now I'm like, just give him, give him four and twenty. He's like, he's a really solid NBA player, and he's and he's getting better. Yeah, I, I like the point you raise about him playing off the ball more and making quicker decisions. I, I think that is really well suited for his game. It's like I, I, him being a dribble at a dribble at out guy. He's just not. He's just not that guy. This is not him. Like and that's fine. Like I think, you know, it's hard not to keep thinking of him as a as a shooting guard that can pass above his above his weight class as opposed to a point guard. Uh, I think that's a healthier way to approach. And like you know, Adam, you talked about Jalen Green playing with the ball in his hands more. I think that would benefit KPJ as well. Just just him playing off the ball. You know, and, and like I think I want to see more of that. Like his his movement off the ball, his decision making. Uh, in transition defense, like all that stuff is going to be interesting um, if Jalen gets the ball in his hands more this season. Yeah, I, just something to watch for. Just you know, I, I do think that uh, I, I don't think that he was ready necessarily. Jalen was to handle being you know kind of in that point guard role. I just think that he had some stuff to work on. But everything you hear, stronger, he's you know he's cleaned up the handle. I think that's going to put him in a position to really carry the offense just a little bit more than he did last year. All right, one more question before we head out of here. That it? I mean, if it's it, we can leave. Uh, I don't All mind. Right, hey. All right, listen. Yeah, thank, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much for doing this. Like, um, this is part one of a multi-part 250th episode. I really appreciate you guys staying on. Uh, if you guys want to subscribe to the podcast, it's on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcast listener player you listen to. Um, give us five stars. It helps other people find the show. Uh, this this recording will be available to you guys on Twitter and on the podcast feed. I just I'm trying to figure out how, how I'm going to get the audio from this Twitter space to my podcast feed. But I did it last time, so I'll figure out how to do it again. Uh, thank you guys. And and also, Salman, congratulations, 250 episodes. Uh, I've only been canceled on one of them, so we're all good there. <laughs> all right, guys. Talk to you guys later.